You're listening to the Gentleman's Guide to Midnight Cinema, bringing class to trash since Welcome to the GGTMC. We are back, and we are ready to go. We are wide awake. I promise. No, we're not. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, wide awake. Todd just woke up. Uh, he's scrapping right now, and get his get a scrapple you want me book to come down and make you guys some a scrapple book. Your scrapple book. Sorry, you'd never ask. Uh, scrapple book and then <laughs> 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 a decoupage. I did have some cor- <laughs> had some corn pudding last night. Pretty good. Oh dear. Corn pudding. Yeah. What's that? Is it like kind of like corn bread or? That's kind of like a baked corn. You know, you get the, is you know, it? It's kind of like a baked mac and cheese. You, know, you kind of like a baked. Yeah. Root. Okay. So kind of like a corn bready kind of thing. Yeah. Kind of like nice. a baked uh, cream corn type thing. Nice and sweet. Okay. Yeah. 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 A little Very cream. Nice. Very That's not bad. It's better than fucking banana pudding. I was eating these scalloped potatoes. I was eating. I was like, yeah, these scalloped potatoes are delicious, man. They're, they're, they're not delicious, but they're weird. They, 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 they taste funny, but I like it. I like it. Oh, while we get in the car, my wife says, they weren't scalloped potatoes, you idiot. They were Brussels sprouts. I'm like, damn. Come many, on, really? How many drinks did I have? Man. <laughs> yeah. Bitch. Brussels sprouts are good, though. Uh, well, they, they can be. I, I, uh, I roasted. Be, yeah, uh, yeah that, well, these were roasted, but I, I didn't, uh, I don't normally eat those. Uh, they really bring out the, uh, they really bring out the wind and Sammy there, babe. Oh, they just, they bring out the wind in everyone. Man. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Didn't you know, any of my kids sailboats, put them in a pond. Sammy let loose. <laughs> Looked like fucking, uh, the white squall, Ridley Scott movie here. And I was in, anyway. Oh yeah. <laughs> anyway, it's neither here nor there. Uh, we are back this week. We are just picking films out of the ether. And we're going to talk about them. We're going to do uh, To Kill a Mastermind from 1979, that magical year, uh, directed by Chung Sun or Sun Chung. Or hey, it, can you go both ways on the Chinese names as well as the? Uh, uh, yeah, because they generally. Depending, yeah. yeah, it depends. Depending yeah, it really depends. Well, IMDb says Chung Sun, so we'll go with that. There you go, go with that, because that's what you'd have to look up if you're in America, anyway. Uh-huh. And we're going to do uh, Meituan, which is 1987, directed by John Sayles, written and directed by John Sayles. Um, so we'll get into that. Um, should be a good show. 
a little kung fu and a little kung fu. <laughs> nice i see what you did <laughs> yeah. both yeah. very creative both of me yeah <laughs> i like it man yeah. <laughs> how about how about uh kevin teague with with that strawberry stripe oh man he's oh, uh, jesus that strawberry alarm clan master <laughs> <laughs> yeah evil motherfucker <laughs> he is he's like <laughs> The uh, the laugh of the uh, famous kung fu films. I love them. It's like, what's oh, yeah. you guys remember? <laughs> sure. <laughs> sure. Sure. <laughs> totally, man. We want to make sure everybody understands we're not making fun of a culture. We're just a... <laughs> we're, de- we're definitely not. But, uh, you know, but- it's fun to hear that language and then hear the laughter. It's, uh, you know, takes me back. You know, I will say, and in case I forget to say it on the show, I was wondering, watching this... Um, because when this came out, uh, China and Hong Kong, it was a very different time, different climate. Um, I'd be very curious. I can't, I I wonder, and this is just kind of rambly, but how accessible a lot of the stuff is because a lot of it was done in Cantonese, right? I mean, all of it, I'm pretty sure most of it was. So if they just have a Mandarin track or. I don't know. I'd be curious about that, what they do on that front. I think a lot of times that, well... Or they're like a a national institution in a way, but, I mean, do they they overlook the Cantonese? That's a Hong Kong thing, right? So... It's very complicated. Yeah, no, that's a... Very complicated. North Americans. (laughs) I would imagine that nine out of ten, they probably just slapped um, subtitles uh, on Or subtitles. Okay, or subtitles, or were they... You'd think they'd want to do a Mandarin audio track. I think sometimes they did. I know on some of the later stuff, uh, not necessarily Shaw Brothers, but um, uh, some of the later stuff, like uh, when you got into the, like the Jet Li stuff and that, they would have two tracks, one Cantonese, one, uh, one Mandarin. Yeah, I think I remember seeing that on old DVDs, yeah. But I think, uh, I think and if you look at a lot of the, a lot of the stuff that um, you could find on the internet, the older stuff... Uh, I think a lot of times if they have subs burned in, a lot of times they'll have English and or uh, like Chinese, which I would imagine is Mandarin uh, on there. Yeah. I could be I could be wrong. It's very very possible, but I don't think you may be right. I don't think they're going to throw money at a an audio track for them when they can subtitle it way 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 cheaper. Yeah, like well, Bill, you may be right. Yeah, like Billy Joel. I may, may be crazy. I may be crazy. <laughs> Nobody just made I love that all, all three of us are picking up what's being put down. I just got to ask, the, I gotta, to keep it in the spirit of the show, I got to ask the question like this. Are you shisher? <laughs> well played, man. Are you shisher, you kofu? All right. Oh, we're on fire today. I can already see that's going to be. Yeah. Never, You never know what this show is going to bring to light. A couple weeks ago, or last week, it was Scrapple. A couple weeks here, I don't even know how many weeks ago. Who knows what'll happen well, today? Lest, lest we forget Queefloaf. Mm-hmm. Uh, Queefloaf. <laughs> uh, Brussels sprouts that I thought were potatoes. I mean, you just never know what's going to happen. That's right. I remember thinking to myself too while I'm eating, and I'm like, it's very weird they serve two types of potatoes while I'm eating <laughs> these roasted potatoes that taste like Brussels sprouts. You know, I had an old man moment to say the least. E- after I got done, I belched and was like, <laughs> "Yeah, that's it." 
<laughs> All right, let's get into what we've been watching. Todd, what have you been watching lately? Uh, a couple things. Um, I caught Kiyoshi Kurosawa's Creepy uh, from 2016. And um, aside from some uh, some uneasy atmosphere and some decent... Uh, decent technical aspects uh i was really not all that blown away by it to be perfectly honest uh there's nothing going on here that's um really all that interesting uh it's actually kind of bewildering uh to be perfectly honest and uh, there's no real surprises uh to anything you still but, sound but bewildered. it doesn't what's that you still sound bewildered but i am uh i'm gonna admit it i'll be a man um so but yeah, it's uh, I, I can't say you know, judging by this, I'm thinking that Kyoshi Kurosawa is not really my speed so much. Mm. Um, I haven't seen too much else that he's done, but uh, I honestly just I can't uh, I can't really say that he's ever really captured me. Um, so uh, what are you gonna do? Uh... I think I think there are people who who definitely will like that, it's, and it's certainly a slow burn. Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, it just didn't do it for me. What was his big? Uh, what was his? I think it was Pulse. Yeah, or, Pulse, yeah. or the sure. Grudge. Did he do the Grudge? No, I don't think he did. I don't think he did. No, he didn't do the Grudge. Mistaken. That was uh, I can't remember his name now off the top of my head. But it definitely wasn't him. I can promise you that. Pulse, okay. Pulse is correct though. Okay. Yeah, but, yeah that was Takashi Shimizu. Yeah, Shimizu. There you go. Who did uh, the uh, Juan films? Ah, uh, okay. All right. All right. Uh, so yeah, I did that. Uh, and then I kept it in Asia for, um, bury me high, uh, from 1991. Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and this, uh, this, I, I was just a complete blind thing that I put on the DVD queue for Netflix. Uh, and man, I love this thing. I thought it was great. Uh, oh, yeah. aside from the, aside from the goofy, um, fantasy angle. Uh, everything else about it is fantastic. You got uh, Wai Yun in there. You got um, Moon Lee, uh, Sybil Hu, uh, and um, what's his face, uh, Choi Su Ming, uh, who is one of those. He's like a, one of those uh, stocky. He's like, kind of like a Sammo Hung, like a little bit younger Sammo Hung uh, in a certain way. Mm. Uh, kind of a stocky guy who's definitely got a hell of a lot of uh, marvelous. Um, athletic skills and i believe he did the choreography on this as well uh, as being an actor in it um and yeah it's just it's just a, a whole lot of fun and uh, you know it leads up to a massive uh, finale that really goes over the top and uh yeah i would go recommending this one uh to just about anybody um especially if you're a uh, an action personality um and then I went over to The Tricky Master, uh, written and directed by Wang Jing, uh, starring Ooh. the fantastic Stephen Chow, mm-hmm. uh, paired up with uh, Nick Chung. And it has the uh, the divine Kelly Lin in it. And this thing was, it, it's like, a, it's kind of like the Chinese version of a carry-on movie, uh, as a lot of, uh, <laughs> as a lot of these, <laughs> these movies tend to be. Um, so there's a lot of really, really, really basement level humor kind of stuff, oh, uh, toilet stuff. You, oh yeah. Yeah. Big time. Uh, but it's also really entertaining. Um, and I just, I love watching Stephen Chow. I think his, his comedic timing is 
out of this fucking world. It is. Um, and uh, yeah, it was, it was fun. I mean, it, it kind of gets a little long in the tooth towards the end. Uh, but overall, um, you know, you know lot, lots of fun. Uh, something nice to just kind of kick back and uh, and relax and kind of not uh, not get too involved with anything. Um, Why do you and, think it is that Stephen Chow hasn't really caught on in America as well as like Jackie Chan or... Well, the closest that he came was the Shaolin soccer movie and Kung, Kung Fu, Fu Hustle. Hustle. Um, yeah, after Kung Fu Hustle, I thought he would, you know, I thought he had breached the market, right? And yeah, but I'm not so sure that he wanted to. Maybe I don't. Yeah, I think he certainly could have. Yeah, I think that there that therein is the thing. I think that he he's got a very eclectic kind of taste that the yeah, things he does. Yeah. And uh, sometimes, and and I haven't seen a lot of later Stephen Chow. I'll just be forthright. I I love him as well as you guys do, but um, he doesn't always like make stuff that like immediately like. I guess for me, the immediately. I jump up and say, like, he did that Alien movie thing, and I'm like... Oh, the CJ7. Yeah. yeah. And it's not something I would jump up and I'm like, I got to see that. I got to see that. Now, I want to see it because it's Stephen Chow, and even if it isn't good, I don't care because I like Stephen Chow, but it's just one of those things where, I don't know, he just never really... After that Kung Fu Hustle thing, it just, like, it seems like he... And this is just my perception. It's not obviously the truth. I mean, I'm sure his movies are... I understand that he's still um, quite the box office star. Oh, Yeah. Overseas. Well, his, uh, I, I, you know, when his he did that journey to the West uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. thing, and I, I didn't really care for that. Uh-huh. Uh, I thought that it was just really a, a more or less a remake of Kung Fu Hustle, mm. but just bigger and louder, yeah, uh, and kind of more empty uh, in a certain way. Um, so I didn't care for that one, but yeah, I mean, I mean, you, you say Stephen Chow and nine out of 10, I'm going to be there just to check it out. I think he's more like a, you know, like us three, we could stay Stephen Chow and probably 90% of our show listeners can, we could say Stephen Chow too. And they'll be like, Oh yeah. But I guarantee you that if I was to talk to somebody who somewhat knows films mm-hmm. and I say Stephen Chow, they're probably gonna be like, who? Uh-huh. Then you can say no, not Stephen Who, Stephen Chow, <laughs> yeah. the Kung Fu Hustle yeah. guy. So the Kung Fu Hustle guy. Then they'll go, oh yeah, that's right. Oh, and then and then they'll watch something else that he did and be like, oh, what the fuck was that? Well, they'll talk about Kung Fu Hustle <laughs> and they'll almost always talk about Shaolin soccer, and then the conversation kind of ends. I wonder sometimes if it isn't just the marketing or the way that the films were released because it seems like Shaolin soccer got a good push here in the states, and then mm-hmm. obviously Kung Fu Hustle got a wide release here. Mm-hmm. Because I remember going to see it in a movie at a movie theater, a, a packed movie theater at that, and I was impressed. So, oh yeah, it, it it was big. I think didn't didn't Tarantino, like Rolling Thunder or someone released. I think got a little bit of a push uh, that way. I, I don't think so. I think it no. might have. I think it might have been the Weinstein's, um, but I don't think uh, that's Tarantino had so. anything to do with it. Yeah, maybe. I don't think so. But yeah, no. Uh, yeah, this was uh, this was. Nice. So now I got to go back into uh, Netflix and you know get some more deep dive Asian stuff on there because yeah, it's one of those things where you just kind of like every once in a while you go in there and you check it out and throw a bunch of shit on there that's going to go on your wait list anyway. Yeah, you do. You, um, you really go on your saved list. You really watched a lot of Asian stuff this week. I did, yeah. uh, and then uh, and then I watched uh, season three of the Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, yeah. uh, and I <laughs> uh, loved it. Yeah. Which is not Asian. Uh, 
And it's not Asian at all. <laughs> although there is uh, a, uh, a you know some Asian characters in there. Nice. Nice. So I'm counting it. I'm putting that in the uh, <laughs> in the count okay. column. Okay. <laughs> so four Asian things I watched this week. Nice. <laughs> but yeah, um, yeah, I was a big fan of the Gilmore Girls. I love Amy uh, Sherman Palladino stuff, and I've said it before, and I'll say it again. And I really like the uh, the marvelous Mrs. Maisel. Great stuff. Tony Shalhoub's great. Kevin Pollock's great. Alex Borstein's great. Uh, yeah, it's uh, good. It's a good show. Good uh, stuff. I haven't I've never watched it, but I've heard nothing but good things. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's right. all that I got, folks. Large William, I uh, watched a couple things this week. So, started off with uh, something on Netflix. I want to say last Sunday, maybe. Tell me who I am. Oh yeah, I was putting away some lines. Have you guys seen this one? No, no but I know about it. Why do I think? Why am I thinking that this is a Will Smith movie? No. Oh come on, Todd. <laughs> you should know me better than that. I do, but that's that's why it's kind of odd to me. That that's next week yeah. when we cover Gemini Man. We cover yeah. Gemini. Yeah. Gemini and, uh, Man. And, and Hancock. And what, what's the one he did with his son? <laughs> oh. Uh, oh. Uh, after Earth. Earth. No. After. After. Yeah. Earth, oh God. That's a Shyamalan we'll movie. We'll do a Gemini yeah. Man, Another Earth, or After Earth double. Hey, never say never. You know, 20 years from now, After Earth might be a classic. <laughs> oh, I'll, I'll say never, man. <laughs> some, ooh. But uh, no, tell me who I am. Um, it, I guess it's one of those stories that really does illustrate the truth is stranger than fiction. Uh, a pair of twin brothers are in a terrible car accident. Documentary, again, I, I want to clarify. Um, they're in a, a bad accident. One of them has amnesia. He's in a coma, completely loses his memory, has no recollection of his life. And the other brother tells him some things, some white lines, I guess you could say, in order to save him some of the scar tissue that uh, they've had to endure over their lives. And it's some pretty harrowing stuff emotionally. Mm. Um, and then, of course... The truth gets out, and there's kind of some reckoning between them, and um, just working through stuff, right? Our, our memory, history, family, a lot, a lot of stuff going on. It's a good one, though. It's a good one. Um, so, and I got to say, I feel like, and again, I don't have my ear to the ground very much anymore, but I feel like Netflix, their, their programming is getting a little better. I feel like it's a lot of their the stuff they're putting out, but anyway... Um, next up, I wanted to watch something, um, just kind of different, just kind of random. So I threw on, uh, the Plex, um, I'm trying to remember the fucking English name of this. Fuck. It's, uh, it's got Philippe Noiré Noir in it. Um, I'm going to find it right now. Anyway, it's, uh, it's a French comedy in 1968. Um, of course, nothing's coming up now, but uh, it's uh, Philip Norrie plays a put-upon husband who gets a dog, and uh, his wife just she's very happy. Alexander is the name of it. 1968 French comedy. Uh, really got a really really great poster. Um, it's uh, he, his wife's just she works him, man. She works him, and he's kind of an easygoing guy and. Something happens and he decides, fuck it, I'm just going to do nothing and hang out with my dog. And it feels not as like sort of plot all cinematic tricks 
including the kitchen sink, like Louis Mal's um, Zazie. But it feels kind of like that same kind of fun, playful comedy of that era from France. Uh, Noiré is, I think he's one of the more underappreciated actors um, of the past 50 years. I, everything I see him in, he just, I think actually he was in Zazie, now that I think about it, right? If my memory serves. Um, I think he was the uncle, no? I honestly cannot recall right now. I feel like he was the Zazie's uncle. But anyway, um, I just feel like Noiré is is a gift. And anything I've seen him he's, he's so, so good. And he's fantastic in this. I think you guys would both really enjoy this one. It's fun. It's really fun. This was one of my favorite discoveries this year. I don't actively get to see as much new kind of cool stuff as I'd like a lot of it. Yeah, he was uh, in Zazie. I just checked. Um, I don't get to see, seek out as much sort of deep cut stuff as I used to, but this is one when I do think about the, my favorite discoveries this year, this would be on there. Uh, very happy Alexander again is the name. So, uh, caught that and, Ooh, so I'm at this age with my kids where they like horror movies and I want to start showing them some Christmas horror, but I don't know. I don't want to show something that's going to dispel any thing. Uh, in case they tip two up and I'm not paying attention here. Um, that's a dicey proposition. Yeah. And I don't want to show anything that's going to just kind of make the proceedings grim. So I I was about to show them Krampus or something, which I've never seen, truth be told. Or maybe even Black Christmas, but I don't know. It gets a little weird with the phone calls and everything. So we opted to watch what's become, oddly enough, a, a Smith kind of family classic, uh, Jingle All the Way. Um, we watch it every year. It's it's pretty groan-inducing in spots, but it's become comfort food for us around the holidays. And just to see Arnold as an awkward dad, and I don't know. I, I still haven't watched that one. It's it's not great. You will groan. Like, you'll roll your eyes at some stuff. But there is some fun stuff. Like, there's a pretty fun scene um, with some with uh, Belushi and a, a bunch of shady Santa's selling bootleg uh, toys and and the giant, the wrestler of the giant, the bunch of Santas and Arnold's taking them on and one of the ninjas has candy cane nunchucks and our ninjas, one of the Santas. It, it's it's fun. I mean, it's fun enough. Phil, uh, Phil Hartman's really good in it as the skeevy neighbor. Um, but there's Sinbad, so, you know, Sinbad, Sinbad's it up pretty hard in this, so... Uh, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's certainly not uh, great cinema, but we uh, we enjoy it well enough. We get in all the beats, and it's kind of you know, it's we enjoy it. Well, I was gonna say it's not high art, but it doesn't need to be. And that's it as far as uh, anything beyond the show this week. Nice, nice. Yeah, I didn't watch a lot. I recently purchased the uh, Mission Impossible box set for like twelve dollars. So oh, really, yeah. So I went and. So I'm gonna watch these movies again before I watch. I hadn't seen the last two, so um, I'd only seen four of the six. So I thought, well, I could either watch the two new ones, but in true Sammy fashion, I was like, you know, I'll watch the old ones first, and <laughs> um, threw on De Palma's uh, Mission Impossible. Watch that. Um, still feel pretty much the same way I did about it when I watched it. I liked it. I liked De Palma's Mission Impossible, but really only like it for the set pieces that are De Palma-esque. Everything else feels kind of muddled and a little sloppy. But the uh, the sequences that are very De Palma are, uh, are very De Palma. The, uh, um, um, whatchamacallit, the 
thing from the ceiling in the quiet room. That's very still a very good sequence. And um, a couple other moments in the movie are very De Palma-esque, especially the opening. I'd forgotten how De Palma-esque that is. Oh, yeah. And uh, I still haven't seen it, man. It's, uh, all yeah. these years, I still haven't seen it. Uh, it's you know for me, honestly, and I haven't seen the most two most recent ones. It's still the the weakest of the ones I have seen, but um, interesting because of the De Palma touch. So very odd though that movie because Tom Cruise is a bubblegum chewing, kind of snarky young buck in the first one, and by the time we get to the second one, he's already turned into this kind of brooding. Well, he grew his hair out. Yeah, yeah. That's right. <laughs> but, I mean, you, you can definitely sense the cruise factor kicking in. And you might, too. You can sense the, uh, you know. Would you say that it was in, in cruise control? It was definitely in cruise control. <laughs> I mean, he produced the first one with Paul Wagner, but he was still, you know, I think, you know, Tom Cruise is a big star in 96, but, you know, he wasn't Tom Cruise, Tom Cruise yet. You know, this kind of odd, um, kind of, uh, disassociated superstar. Uh, yeah, dis- yeah, yeah. When I say disassociated, I mean disassociated with reality. But yes. uh, you know, somebody the other day was quoting the uh, Matt Lauer thing to me because I was talking about Tom Cruise. And they're like, "Yeah, remember we called Matt Lauer glib?" I was like, "Man, I was like, he he looks so much better than Matt Lauer right now." <laughs> that, oh yeah. That uh, I, I would I don't even want to compare that that sequence, but I still think about the Oprah moment when he jumped up on the couch and. <clears throat> Oh man, that was it. That was a turning point. Yeah, that was that was a turning point, right? I mean, he just started to kind of show this different side of himself, and you either you know got on board or you thought to yourself, you know, douche chills, right? And uh, mm-hmm. I enjoy Tom Cruise movies. I'm not gonna lie, I, you know that he's a movie star, and you know that I enjoy most of the stuff I see from him. But um, I could take or leave it as well. It's it's kind of one of those he kind of falls into a weird area. Um. Uh, but anyway, Mission Impossible 1, still about the same, a little bit above, above average, you know. Um, Mission Impossible 2, I went back and watched, so, as well. These are, that's the only two things I watched. And um, this one, over the years, has really gotten beat up because of the woo-ness of it. And me and Todd kind of talked about this a little bit, kind of behind the scenes. But this one kind of got, has really gotten beat up over the woo-ness of the whole thing. And really... Yeah, there's the the pigeons and the doves and all that stuff, <laughs> and you know it is what it is. And but really, outside of some ridiculous action sequences that are just ridiculous, but at the time I think they were trying to do something, you know, different. Um, I think this one's a better film than the first one. Uh, the the, bad, the thing about this one I don't like is there's this really kind of maudlin heavy uh, love angle with the Thandy Newton character. Yeah, it feels straight yeah. out of like the killer or something, and it's just oh, it's kind of overwrought. It's a little it's, yeah. Well, it's it's, it's like I was saying, it's like I was saying to you previously. You know, John Woo's like John Carpenter. Neither one of them really does yeah. like romantic well <laughs> yeah. on screen. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they just don't. They don't know how to handle it. Well, uh, so they get really ham fisted and you know blunt and well, yeah, uh, overly 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 sentimental. Uh, at times with that sort of thing. Well, I mean, the most interesting relationships in Carpenter and Wu films are between men. Oh, God, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, oh, yeah. That's what they're interested in. Yeah, and that's where the love relationships are, too, really, even if they're not, even if they're bad guy versus good guy. But the Doug Ray Scott character in Mission Impossible 2 and the Tom Cruise, Ethan Hunt character, there's more interest for an, uh, for me watching that film. There's almost this homoerotic attraction between them two. 
<laughs> that oh, is yeah. more interesting than the Thandie Newton thing. And I think Thandie Newton's a gorgeous lady, uh, personally. Uh, and she's aged like fine wine. I mean, she is just as beautiful today as she was then. Uh, she might not be everybody's cup of tea, but I've always thought found her very attractive. And uh, she's fine in the movie. She does nothing wrong. Tandy? Yeah, it's just... It just she's a little underserved, though, right? Yeah, well, she just... Uh, yeah, Wu just kind of leaves her hanging out there. And, mm-hmm. uh, you know, it, it's just... There's some, you know, slow motion gazing and things like that, and it's kind of like, come on. But, you know, uh, the action outside of the motorcycle sequence, which me and Todd both agree is absolutely ridiculous, um... The, the action's really good, and, uh, you know, I like the woo-ness of it. I mean, I'll be forthright in saying I like John Woo, and, and I always will like John Woo. Yeah, for some reason, he came to America, made a few big ones, Broken Arrow and Mission Impossible 2, and and then it seemed like he made that Ben, ben Affleck movie, Paycheck or whatever, Yeah, and then basically got John Poo-Pooed on, not Woo-Wooed. Well, that between that and Wind Talkers. Yeah, yeah, that one. Oh, which, yeah. which I own, the three-disc DVD set of that, and I've never watched it. <laughs> I think I bought it for five bucks. But, I, you know, I've revisited stuff. I don't know what he's been doing lately, but I watched Red Cliff Part 1 and Part 2, and I love those. Oh, I thought that was really good. Yeah, and, uh, you know, he's, they were very woo And, uh, you know, I don't, like I said, I don't know what he's up to nowadays. I need to go check and see what he's doing. But, you know, he's still... A master filmmaker in a lot of ways, and um, I take his action over a lot of action. I can tell you that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, I'm sure we all agree with that. Most of us. Oh yeah. Yeah. So uh, now I'm super curious to look up John Woo, but I know we got a show to do here. I'll do that when <laughs> somebody's leading on to kill a mastermind or something. If it's not me. All right. So that's all we've watched. I can't think if I watched any television. I haven't watched any. I haven't caught up with the Mandalorian. My son now wants to watch the Mandalorian because the baby Yoda's everywhere. And, oh, everywhere. Uh, so now, the last I, episode was pretty cool. Yeah, so now i got to go back and watch the whole thing with him again, which is fine because they're pretty short episodes, really. So, Yeah, yeah. You, you want to know how big Baby Yoda is right now in pop culture and online. So the much-loved Baby Groot from a few years ago, I heard someone say, if Baby Yoda was cold, I would use Baby Groot as kindling to keep Baby Yoda warm. Yikes. Yeah, that's people. Cold shit. That's, that's that cold. Is, man. That is, that's people pretty are cold. in love. It's, yeah, it's they are. They are swooning over Baby Yoda, and uh, big time. <clears throat> he's got those those big fucking anime eyes and shit. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know what I like about him? I like that he has that little wispy gray hair. Yeah, on yeah, top yeah. Of his Well, head. he's fifty. Yeah, he's fifty yeah. years old, and uh, these 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 characters evidently age funny. And I've written, I've read about all this now. Uh, because of this baby Yoda thing, that these these Yoda creatures, they never really say what the race is. No, they don't have a race as of yet. But supposedly there's only one that exists in the universe at a time. Of oh, the Yodas? I didn't know that. Eh. Yeah, and evidently, really? the, evidently they are the Force personified. So, uh-huh. so that's why the Force kind of creates these creatures. That's what I've read. So mm. it's very... There's some interesting story possibilities there and some interesting things. They haven't really talked into that. I just kind of started looking into it because I was like, have they ever really discussed Yoda's race anywhere? And really, they haven't. So they're, and, and again, this could all be, I don't know if this is coming from Lucas's archives or I don't know where this is coming from. This could just be coming from the internet. But supposedly, there's only one of these creations at a time. Oh, wow. How does that happen? I don't know. Oh, it's like, you know, like maybe it's like a Jesus thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. I mean, uh, well, all, at least, all cultures uh, at have least their. George Lucas finally let go of the uh, the property. So yeah, at least all 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 cultures kind of have their omnipotent uh, kind of creations, right? So they're mm-hmm. all knowing, and uh, Yoda might be Star Wars uh, Jesus, <laughs> <laughs> which is pretty awesome. I wonder if Yoda's. Yeah. In the, I, I think Yoda's in the Stoner Rock. Yeah, yes. I could see that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I like how you said that. Seriously, that's awesome. Yes, <laughs> I can see that. Yes, you're right. Thinking of some of the album covers and just the tone. Yeah, that yeah, does yeah. seem more in line. That's yeah. that shitty smokes. Yeah, <laughs> just digs deep into some albums, man. Falls might, down the hole. Be more, on his headphones. Yeah, it might be more stoner hip hop. I don't know. It might be some Cypress Hill in there. Uh, I don't know, man. That's stoner rock. That Same a lot of that kind of. Ooh no! no. <laughs> I think I think that's a hard no from that's, Yoda, that's man. Hard pass. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. He might be just into, like Todd. He might be in the snow, Laffy Taffy. Laffy Taffy. He might be in the snow. You never know. He's got a pair of round sunglasses, little mini round sunglasses he wears. <laughs> that fucking Parker a silk Lewis shirt. Kid. When he yeah. takes off that ratty old robe, man, puts on a silk fucking shirt. Mandarin collar, baby. <laughs> yeah. I, I will say this about the the Mandalorian, though. And again, I haven't watched it or anything. I have watched the Watchmen. The last episode of the Watchmen blew my mind. It was fantastic. I know. Fantastic. Uh, but really, the uh, yeah. the Mandalorian. It's the first time, in my opinion, that the Star Wars universe feels like it's in the hands of somebody else. I know it's in Disney's hands and not in Lucas's hands anymore, but the Mandalorian feels like a even further departure from yeah the corporate Disney world. Like it feels like, hey, John Favreau, we're going to give you this amount of money and just kind of have fun with it, man. We're not going to lose any money on this because we're going to make a shit ton of money on Disney Plus anyway. Mm-hmm. Just go ahead and go with it, and we'll see what happens. And it feels like the reins are off. Does that make sense, Todd? Yes, it does. Yeah, I would. Uh, I would tend to agree with that. I mean, obviously, yeah. Like you said, it's still still kind of caters. It's still very much controlled, yeah. but uh, they're allowing a bit more uh, freedom in there. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. All right, we're going to take a short break, and then we're going to come back <laughs> and talk <laughs> about, <laughs> and talk nice. about to uh, to kill a mastermind. So we'll be back right after this. I'm gonna be here 
<laughs> All right. We are back. A little funky. That's right. That song, every time I hear that song, I think to myself, can they find as many nature things as possible to sing about in that song? <laughs> Red lips and candy dolls and waterfalls and fallen leaves and... <laughs> Just anything they can, you know, think of. That's amazing. <laughs> it's a good song. All right, Brothers Johnson, man, underrated. Those guys, very underrated. Um, they don't get mentioned as much as some other kind of funk acts of the seventies. You know, oh, they were great. Actually, that song, I'm actually surprised, has never ended up in a Tarantino movie. It has. Has it? It's in Jackie Brown. Well, there we go. That's my bad. See. I was going to say, how can that not end up in a Tarantino movie? <laughs> well, yeah, it's funny. It's yeah. I, I mean, I'm, I'm almost certain on it. You got me doubting myself, but I, I want to say there's a part when Max Cherry puts them on, or he's. I want to say there's. Well, a part that's like a that. Delphonics, though, right? No, there is a Delphonics scene, but I want to say there's a. I feel like this is was in a Tarantino film, and I feel like it was Jackie Brown, but yeah. now I'm going to doubt it. I'm going to go look. Yeah. <laughs> but I at least, if nothing else, <laughs> yeah. if nothing else, it felt. Like what you said, it did. Are you are you sure? I'm not very sure now, unfortunately. I'm gonna go check, man. I feel like it was. I'm gonna go check, man. Are you guys? Why doesn't someone synopsis like this? Please answer in Mandarin. <laughs> read, what, read, read the truth in Mandarin. Yes. Our guy Mark's over there. Um, yeah. He could probably spit some knowledge in Mandarin. He probably could. Oh man. Hope he didn't come back with a strawberry stripe. Ooh. Uh, <laughs> or maybe I hope he does. Um, all right. Basic plot synopsis to kill a mastermind. 1979, directed by Chung Sun. Ooh. Uh, a fearful. I cut you off because I'm right. Yeah, yeah. It feels good to be right for once in my life. Man, and maybe maybe <laughs> I've played it on the show before. Maybe I played it when we reviewed Jackie Brown. I don't know. Maybe. I don't. There was a lot of good songs, though. So chances are I did. I may have played that before, but yeah, it's a good song. Uh yeah, I felt like it was a you know, I felt like a Tarantino type thing. It does. Right? It does. It totally feels totally that way. Does. Yeah. Um a fearful and ruthless crime syndicate known as the Kishai clan is terrorizing cities and towns across the Chinese Empire. <laughs> we'll just leave it at that. There is this is the longest plot synopsis I have ever seen in my life. Uh on anything. Uh, have you guys looked at the, Have you looked at the plot synopsis for this thing on IMDb? Uh, no. Uh, no. Please, please do, uh, and tell me that that isn't one of the longest plot synopsis you've never ever seen. We've seen some long ones. And, oh, yeah, I, dude, I, I, this one takes the cake, no doubt. The strawberry cake. Yeah, the strawberry cake. That <laughs> strawberry stripe. Cake. I was just uh, <laughs> focusing on Will saying that we've seen some long ones. Sure, 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 sure. Yeah, we have. Sure. <laughs> they just chili going on in cincinnati and there's all kinds of beef mm, yeah uh wow that is a whole fucking serious <laughs> paragraph that is huge like two paragraphs that should actually probably be three paragraphs <laughs> yeah you know what you could say easily that's three paragraphs man <laughs> that is a hell of a pot synopsis so ain't that thick <laughs> that is i mean that's wow i mean i just basically it, to me that's almost like a film review there i don't know but yeah yeah it's that's a lot it's one of those reviews that all it does is just synopsize the whole film yeah <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah so it's My like a modern kind. trailer 
Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, this is uh, for, like we said, from the glorious year of 1979. Uh, it has a magnificent poster. I love the poster. Oh, yeah. And um, I don't think I've seen this. I, there was moments when I thought I had because of it has some uh, – some 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 whiffs of five deli venoms in there. Oh yeah, oh yeah. That's some you know some of those type of uh, those type of kung fu films. Um, so, but I know I I haven't ever seen this. I would have remembered the strawberry striped master, Alarm clan master. Yeah, I would have. I, I just I I would have remembered that, no doubt. Because I couldn't stop looking every time he was on screen. I couldn't stop looking at his hair. Well, yeah, it looks like a it looks like a, a quart of uh, Briar's strawberry ice cream. <laughs> yeah, you just want to get does. a spoon out and hope that it tastes not like hair. Yeah. Totally does. So, who wants to lead on this? And uh, anybody? Uh, anybody? Anybody? Uh, it doesn't matter. I'm happy to, or if one of you guys wants to, whatever's good. Uh, I I do not have a lot of. Okay, so I'll lead notes. on it then. Yeah, let yeah. me lead on it. Go for it, man. Let me spit on this. Sometimes it happens. Sometimes you pick a film, you lead on it. Sometimes it happens. I, you know what? But that's not a bad thing necessarily because if I picked it, it means I'm anxious to talk about it. Usually. Yeah. yeah. And and you probably know, you may know more about it than uh, me and uh, Todd are do anyway. Okay. So, yeah, this, um, you know, we, I was saying off the air, and I've probably said this in, in our circle sometimes. I, I, I wouldn't say it's an exact formula, but. When we started the show and, and with Todd's reviews on the blog and kind of the three of us, we like to be as as varied as possible in the coverage we provide. And uh, with me, it's like, OK, let's let's pick an Asian film and not always a, a kung fu film. But if we're going to pick a kung fu film, let's pick something that's a little different. Um Let's pick a, a film from kind of, you know, far flung country. Let's pick something trashy and trashy Z grade action. It just kind of rotate through. Have we done a black exploitation? You know, representation is important. And sometimes I just get the feeling, you know, I don't want to cover just American stuff. We all love foreign film a great deal. And I thought, fuck, man, we really got to get into, uh, we haven't done a Kung Fu film in ages. So I felt like this was a good one for us to drop on the show. I can't remember the first time I saw it. Truth be told, I grabbed it on a, um, like a Christmas free lead from Cinemageddon, probably about, gosh six or seven years ago at least and i watched it and when i sort of connected some dots to see sun chung was the director i thought you know not only is this a film that needs to be seen but sun chung's a filmmaker that we need to talk about a little bit just because i think he's one of the more underappreciated filmmakers that's worked for shaw brothers um a lot of people are familiar with the avenging eagle which i, I love. love yeah man that is easily easily uh, top five uh, Dude, martial arts movie for me. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good, and I want to cover it on the show at some point, right? Now that we're kind of maybe hopefully wetting some appetites. I mean, I'm sure that's probably that and Human Lanterns are probably the two yeah. biggest ones that people would know of his. Yeah. So I don't want to say he's – I've mentioned Louis Mal already once on this show, but I'm going to kind of compare him to Louis Mal a little bit um, if for no other reason that I feel like – they both had really varied filmographies for their respective countries um, in terms of their output, the cinematic output, and don't quite get the love they deserve as far as being close to masters. Not made on masters, but really great, reliable filmmakers. Um, I think of someone like Choi Hawk as well. When I think of him, not to say there's a completely sort of linear uh, thing where you can go A to B, but I feel like um, Sun Chung's attention to quality and attention to detail 
was a lot better than a lot of studio filmmakers of the time. Mm -hmm. Editing was important. Cinematography was important. Uh, the score was important. Yeah. So, you know, all these things are on display here. And I feel like looking at stuff like that, looking at Big Bad Sis is a fun one. Well, his, um, his filmography, it seems even more so for even for kung fu films, which kind of always mm -hmm. kind of get the grindhouse or the the drive-in kind of reputation here. But his stuff in particular feels a little bit more genre-like, even for yes. that stuff. You know what I'm saying? Or like Cheng Che, right? Like yeah. if you like Cheng Che, like we had mentioned, I think off the air about Five Deadly Venoms, Cheng Che. You know, it's funny when we first started this show, I wasn't. I've always uh, preferred Lao Kar Long stuff because I feel like Cheng Che gets the love as like the master. But to me, Lao Kar Long, his, his choreography was astounding. And he made, he made my favorite Shaw Brothers films, but on the whole. But um, you could kind of look at, yeah, Sun Chung like, like that, like like a Five Deadly Venoms style. Like, like you said, same like genre stuff thrown in. He does the Kung Fu Instructor, which is kind of like, it's, it's a Yojimbo kind of vibe. So... Mm -hmm. I don't know. I just I think it was high time we, we dropped some of that. And and really, he features a lot of actors that aren't they're not like the stable guys. Right. I mean, you get a few familiar faces in this, but it's not, you know, like an all star cast. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so it's cool to kind of, you know, dig into some stuff because also too the pecking order. Right. We don't get into that whole thing with the pecking order. Dick Wei shows up. Um, you and Wah. Of course, speaking of uh, Stephen Chow and Kung Fu Hustle, mm -hmm. um, you know, so you get a few, few familiar faces. I'm sure there's a few more in there as well. But um, yeah, that's sort of a long way of me saying I wanted to. Well, dig in. Yun, Yun Wah, um, he winds up playing uh, the uh, the clan master, well, second clan master, who, uh, you know, incidentally, uh, going back to a, 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 a conversation we had previously, uh, rocks a mean ass fucking skullet. And Dude. you guys said that only the Hulkster could. <laughs> and here's proof that there are other people who could do it. Uh, Todd, I love you. And this is why the three of us are brothers. Because the instant I'd forgotten, I, I, who remembers a fucking amazing skull? I guess I should have remembered an amazing skullet. But when I when it popped up, I'm like, how do I not remember how majestic this skull it is? And it's like <laughs> this weird oversized bald cap where it looks almost like it a looks, subtle great gazoo vibe. You know what? Yep. It, yeah, you know what it looks like. It looks like it looks like a it looks like yeah. a, a novelty shop bald cap is what it looks oh, like. Yeah. So it does. And they're just like, let's put a headband on it to keep it in place, <laughs> yeah. and we'll put like an amazing skull it. Oh yeah. There's there's space between that skull it and his forehead. Yes. Oh, yeah. I'm willing to bet you, like, if we ever get a good HD transfer, and this one, sadly, isn't really, really, really available. Um, I know there was a bit of a history with this where, like, people had, you know, there was a fan sub out, which is the one I have, which is probably the best transfer out there from what I understand. But but I'm sure if we had an HD transfer, Yunwa's, like, bald cap when he's jumping around, but you'd see it, like, flop a little bit. Like, it would move. <laughs> yeah, no yeah, you'd see, like, dents in it. Yeah, yeah, no doubt, no doubt. Yeah, totally would. And his uh, his uh, his little tussle there over the pig head. Oh yeah, uh, with the guy with the heavy eyebrows yes. is uh, one of the most sublime moments in uh, in the history of cinema. Yeah, it's pretty. It good. is amazing, man. And good. one of the good things too about Sun Chung having an eye or a flair for visuals is sometimes when you get a lot of a lot of actors in period costume and you get a huge cast, sometimes you're like. Hang on, who's he with? 
what's yeah. what's what's happening but he gives all of our characters uh, much like a superhero film right he yep. gives them their unique costumes and um, it just makes the film even more visually appealing right well, so this i mean i've i've always compared martial arts movies to musicals yeah because they have basically the same structure yeah. uh they have the same you know sort of breakdown of um of how things go so you get a little bit of plot and then everybody breaks out into a fight or everybody busts into a song uh you know same thing yeah. um and and they use they yeah. use these things to to kind of move it forward uh or to you know have uh, have things be resolved but yeah yeah i mean in stuff like this um for for me and especially in stuff like this the plot uh is just kind of a formality right Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. it's got a lot of, it's got a lot of, uh, intrigue. It's got, you know, the big twist cause we're, we're waiting for the idea of the, of the, uh, the chief oh, yeah. and then the rest, of, and then the rest of it is excuses to fight mainly because of, you know, baseless, uh, ludicrous suspicions. Uh, and I'm okay with, yeah. and I'm okay with that. Um, sure. that said, uh, yeah, but like you were, you were kind of saying it, it, it does for me get as confusing as any of these films do because mm-hmm. there's so many characters thrown at you. Um, the editing and writing are not really in an American friendly style, yeah. Uh, which is something that just comes with the territory on these things. If you're not used to them, then you you know uh, it could certainly throw you more than uh, more than other films will. Uh, sure. And and people you know just seem to do whatever they want so long as there's a fight at the end of whatever they're doing. <laughs> um, yeah. But but yeah, uh, that's that's one of the the things that I, I dig, and this is one of those things where. Um, you know, it's like instantly my kind of Shaw Brothers uh, movie because because it, it is loaded with you know all these garish costumes and way larger than life characters who just want to fight and be evil, uh, and oh, they all yeah. have like a specialty gimmick or a specialized weapon. Yes, right. Uh, so it's all in there. Uh, I love them. I love them when they're like this. Uh, I, the production value on this thing is great. Uh, comparatively um, speaking, right? Because that's always, I think the fatigue that can set in as, as well-intentioned and as, and as, you know, finally constructed as some Shaw Brothers films are. It's like, okay, here we go. Here's that stage. Here's this set. I've seen this in 19 other Shaw Brothers yeah, films. Yeah. The choreography, well, good is robotic and stiff. And, yeah. and it's a half step slow and it's just kind of, it feels very choreographed. Whereas in this, it's a little bit faster, a little more varied. Yeah. The camera works a little better. Everyone has, one guy has like an iron claw. This yep. guy has this kind of blades. There's that we have an amazing... I don't know if I've ever seen this in a film. Maybe I have. I'm sure we have. But we get like a belt sword in this. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, which uh, kind of but, defies logic, but it's that's fine. <laughs> yeah, and, and it helps this one a, a bit that it's really, it's barely over 90 minutes. So yes, that certainly helps it. Because it these does. things these things do tend to, to, you know, they can get a little bit dragged. Fatigue and, yeah, yeah. And redundancy. Fatigue yeah. will set in, of course, right? It's The genre has some inherent... I think limitations um, because of that, right? And this doesn't overstay its welcome, which is which is good. Mm. Um, yeah, I like that you mentioned about the the production itself because it does feel better. Like the caves, mm-hmm. you know, they're not something that that we see a ton in the Shaw Brothers films. At least a lot of the the, the larger ones. Um, I love how the clan is very serious about their rules, like. <laughs> the opening of the film, you walk in, it's like, if you do this, you will die. If you do this, <laughs> yeah. you will die. If you do this, you will die. Yeah. Every, you you die for everything, man. They don't yeah. play. Yeah. 
yeah. no, they don't. So. That's good. <laughs> and it opens up with like a nice decapitation with like a Sammy, like Sammy loves the guillotine, man. Yeah. You get like a Sammy guillotine <laughs> decapitation. They need to talk to their HR department though, because those are some hard rules for working there, man. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're uh, <laughs> they totally are, man. They totally are. Um, what else do we got here? Burr, burr, burr. Um, I feel uh, you know one of the things too. A lot of times, like we see, like the a village get killed, a, a school they get humiliated, and a few get killed, but. I feel like, too, there's even a little bit more attention to detail. Not to say this is worried about being emotionally resonant, but there's a scene early in the film when the village um, has all these tablets up. And they talk about how each of these tablets represents a man, woman, or child that's been murdered by the clan. And you, you kind of feel the weight a little bit of what, what, you know, it's not just you've killed our people, prepare to die. Yeah. Right. Like, yeah. It, like they, they, it tries to add a little bit more depth to it than that. And even on the flip side, with the, I love when, when, uh, like the, the statues come tumbling down and the walls come tumbling down. As, yeah. They said the rebels really kind of do it up with the statues, right? It's kind of oh, like, yeah. uh, it's kind of like when Dr. Fives and his wax sculptures. Yes. Uh, but they're just huge and ungainly. Yes. They sure are. Like, if they're supposed to be, like, hiding out, wouldn't you think that, you know, they might be a little bit nervous that somebody might come in and see these giant statues of the uh, the evil spirits clan? It's not very covert. It's not. No, it's, it's not. It's not subtle at all. Seems very no. much, it's much more complicated than just making a list. Yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, a lot, lot less discreet yeah. than, than that list. But, um, you know what I love is those two annoying assholes in the restaurant. Oh, yeah. Uh, and it's like clearly this is the age that predates the no agents, peddlers, or solicitors sign. Yeah. It's like, man, I just want to eat, and these guys are clacking shit in our ears, and you know, it's uh, no. Yeah, you can totally get why they'd want to kick their ass. Yeah, oh, totally, totally. Um, uh, I like to, as we touched on, just that Chung has a visual flair for things. I guess the way he shoots stuff. His shot selection is a lot more diverse. A lot of times, it's almost like Ozu, where you just have that that static shot for a you know uh, for a martial arts type. But he varies. There's even a lot of overhead stuff in this, which you don't tend to get a lot in Shaw Brothers stuff. There's and a lot of uh, a lot of slow motion too. Which and you know what, the slow motion's really used to pretty good effect in spots. Yeah. I, I agree. Yeah. I agree. But I I think that yeah, uh, this has strong choreography. Uh, and yeah, the, the, uh, Sun Ching really does, uh, open up the, open up the okay. screen. Uh, it, it, cause that's, that, that to me is always a good sign when mm-hmm. they have a nice wide shot and they allow the performers to just go. They have long shots, long takes, uh, with like, you know, X amount of hits. Uh, that, that to me is always a good sign, uh, in a martial arts movie and certainly oh, yeah. in here. So. Oh yeah, for sure. Uh, do, 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 do. And I guess if, I love too that he's a kind of a fun genre filmmaker in that he'll throw some gore in. He throws, like I said, the decapitation. It's not just yeah. kind of that clean um, martial arts stuff, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's cool. Uh, <laughs> what the, I love the one subtitle in this when uh, what does it say? God damn, our luck is so bad. Even the snakes are trying to bully us. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I 
Yeah, they uh, throw yeah. a spear at a snake, right? A cobra? Yeah, they yeah. do. Yeah. do. Uh, so, f- fair warning for uh, Will or any of her other... Yeah. Uh, you know, that, that happens, unfortunately. Yeah. It looks real, um, so it might be. It, it was. Yeah, oh, it looks real. Yeah, it looks real. Um, yeah, so there's that. Uh, I like, you know, it's a fun scene, too, just being the choreography and the effectiveness of the slow-mo is there's a scene with uh, Yunhua when he is such a test short, but it's brief, but it's effective when he, he goes to attack the two women that are listening in on him. And he reaches his hand through and he kind of gives her like a Vulcan oh, death yeah, yeah, grip, yeah, yeah. but the, yeah. the fingers like penetrate her neck and, <laughs> yeah. and he busts his hand through the wall like that. It's, it's just small pieces like that, but it was really effective. It just, it feels hard. Like it's almost like it's more structured than Sonny Chiba choreography, but it feels as brutal in spots. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the thing. His stuff, his stuff to me feels the stuff I've seen. It just feels very grindhousey. I don't know if yeah, that makes man. sense. It just feels that way. It feels like there's a a tinge of just nastiness to some of his stuff. Yeah, yeah, there absolutely is. And I like the mystery aspect of it. I like this internal fight. You remember another one I dropped on the show that I, I'm a huge fan of, The Black Tavern. Yeah, I love. I think it's it's a shame that. A lot of the well-regarded um, films in the genre, like we don't step outside. And, and as much as Hong Kong is known for throwing five genres in to the pot, it feels like a lot of the kung fu films, not a lot. I mean, there's a lot that do, but there's still a decent amount that don't. And I love when you add the mystery elements and you get, you know, the costumes and the masks and it just it really it really makes it a different kind of fun experience, a, more of a fun genre experience, right? So, right, right. Um, the finale I think is really fun in this. Like you get explosions, double crosses, you get a, a pretty fucking good spear fight. Yeah. <laughs> um, with a sword belt, a dart gun, like it's it's pretty varied, man. And that's uh, those are those are all my notes. Yeah. Todd, you got anything you want to add? Uh, just a couple things. I thought that. Um this thing has the most spaghetti Western opening credits music ever. Yeah, yeah it, uh, it, really it does. Not, it totally does. And, and I'm, I'm not totally sure that it wasn't stolen from a spaghetti Western. Um, yes. but that being said, uh, because mm-hmm. you know, these, these guys were, were not exactly above, um, you know, thief and some, uh, some music. Yeah. Speaking of Choi Hawk, right. Take yeah, it. Right. He used like the Suspiria. What did he use? Not Suspiria. Or did he use the Suspiria theme? Uh, uh I don't remember. remember. I think it's us. Uh, fuck, he uses anyway. He uses a, a few Italian themes. No, it's, I think it's a zombie theme. Maybe I don't know. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Sorry. <laughs> uh, so you get that. Um, you get the concubines who are essentially a rainbow. Um, you know, sort of like uh, Strawberry Alarm Clan Master's hair. Yeah. Um, and the, you know, the Mistress Yin character is kind of interesting because she, she seems to really want to involve herself in things. Mm-hmm. And clearly, she's more important than you know, let on. But you're never quite sure who she's working for and why. Um, and of course, that extends to the rest of the players. There's a lot of subterfuge, right, going on in this thing. Well, um, Chung, yeah. sorry, just interject. Chung was a filmmaker that, you know, in the few I've, films of his I've seen, he does pay closer mind to flesh out and breathe a little more life into the female characters, which is pretty cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
and she's she definitely shows up and seems to be you know having a bit more uh, importance or voice, if you will, yeah. uh, in what in what's going on. Even if even if you know at the end of the day they're still going to ignore her because she's you know she's just mm-hmm. a woman. But um, you know the the clan these guys they they really do not know how to investigate a mystery. <laughs> um, they make uh, Inspector Clouseau look like um, you know Sherlock Holmes basically because <laughs> uh, they just man. They fucking throw around suspicion like the minute that somebody oh, says yeah. something that's you know maybe a little bit you know off uh, <laughs> yeah. off point. Yeah. Like oh, so it's you then? And then everybody, then everybody, yeah, everybody just attacks that one guy. They're smoking a lot uh, of pot, man. They're just they're all paranoid as fuck. Yeah, right. Uh, that's um, and we we've talked already. <laughs> well, we talked off off uh, Mike about. Um, that Rube Goldberg esque uh, <laughs> uh, message system. system. <laughs> I mean, this is so fucking ridiculous. Oh, yeah. You know, it, it drops into a giant fucking terrine ladle uh, at the end of it. <laughs> and uh, you know, I was sitting there and I'm thinking to myself, that's a really wide uh, passage that that ball has to travel down. Like, what would happen if it got like hung up somewhere? Yeah. You know, like when you're playing pinball and like a ball gets stuck behind a ramp or something. Be- I don't know. It'd be uh, tough, you can't man. Shake that you, thing, though. Well, yeah, because you you they'd be sitting there waiting for the uh, waiting for that ball to drop, man. For that, for, yeah, for that and really it, important message. And they'd be, and yeah, they <laughs> they wouldn't know what to do. <laughs> yeah, nope. and then they get paranoid and say, "Did you mess it up?" <laughs> That's right. That's exactly right. Uh, because yeah, and speaking of, uh, there is more than enough snorting uh, in this thing to oh, fill yeah. its quota. Oh yeah, like oh, everybody yeah. sneers and snorts at one point or another. Well, I think that, I think that kind of goes in place with what you were saying. <laughs> their detective skills are kind of like a bull in a china shop. Oh God, yeah. So yes. yeah, they're snorting like bulls. So they just really don't know. <laughs> their their whole investigative nature is, you know, let's just smack things around and break shit, and we'll find yeah. out who the bad guy, who the mole let's, is. There's a mole. Let's kill it. Let's kill everybody and then fit, and then question them. Yeah. <laughs> uh, it's fun so, though because it it opens up the opportunity for a fight every like five minutes well yeah that's the beauty of it and that's the point of it uh, i mean let's be perfectly honest it serves uh you know the basic purpose of keeping conflict in the movie and then being able to uh, visually show the conflict um and you know then uh, there's three guys show up in five deadly venoms masks more or less oh yeah um so yeah definitely a, a strong influence there from that movie um the big reveal is really unsurprising and yet still mystifying in that it makes like zero sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is really, you know, what Super Tramp would say was the, the long way home. Because, um, <laughs> I mean, if, if you really, if you sit there and you watch this movie and you think, you think to yourself, couldn't they have done this in the first five minutes of the fucking movie? Uh, yes, they could have, but then we wouldn't have had the movie. Uh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so thankfully they didn't do that. Thankfully they uh, they did what they did. They did what uh, what they had to do. Um, it does end things really, really, really big. Uh, and Sunjung is clearly not above quiet you. Uh, not above uh, finishing the film with a, a pyrrhic victory, uh, which is one of the things I've always dug about the Shaw Brothers uh, martial arts movies is that just about everyone usually winds up dead. Uh, rarely are these things you know, uh, strictly having happy endings. Clean um, and just minimal loss, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, a lot. Of, uh, there's a lot of Shaw Brothers movies where everybody's dead at the end of it. 
like literally <laughs> everybody's dead at the end of it. And this one, uh, this one is up there with the with the body count certainly. Uh, but that's that, that, for some odd reason that's one of the things that I've always liked about them. Because, uh, but you get to the end of it and you feel like you've had an experience and you've you know you had to come out the other side of it, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, so yeah, I was uh, I was pleasantly surprised with this thing. Uh, it uh, it ticks all the boxes. It ticks them very very well, and uh, yeah, I, I dug it. That's uh, you know that's all the notes that I got. Uh, yeah, good pick, Will. Yes. Well, thank you. Well, interesting. Yeah, I mean, I I'd never seen it, but it's one of those things where you feel like maybe in a way you have, and that's because you're you know you're basically looking at this the Shaw Brothers answer to the Five Deadly Venoms, right? You're you're looking at you know. I guess that was a bit of a hit, and and well, that was Shaw Brothers. No, was Five Daily Venoms Shaw Brothers? Yeah, yeah, man. I didn't even think it was. Damn. Oh, yeah. But but it, it just to sort of slightly revise, I think what you're saying. Yeah, but just to revise what you're saying, obviously, much like our Italian friends, you get something that works, man. We're gonna run it. We're gonna yeah. run with yeah. it, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Uh, <clears throat> sorry. Uh, I really did. En- I enjoyed the movie too. It moves along very quickly. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's because everything is, um, how to say, <clears throat> there is so much paranoia, and it just keeps it keeps the story kind of flowing fast. Like there's not very little downtime in this movie. It just kind of mm-hmm. keeps going and going and going. I like the sequence in the rain a lot in the village. I like that sequence. Oh yeah, 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 you know, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I good call, Sammy, because again, I feel like we don't see a lot of fights in the rain and. In Shaw Brothers films, which I never really real again, I'm sure if someone go yo with these ten films seven, it's not something I tend to think of when I think of Shaw Brothers films. Yeah, uh, no, not, rain is not usually you know kind of moody set pieces, some type of sunset in the background or or sun mm-hmm. coming up or something. That's usually what I think of. But um, anyway, it's it's interesting. Um, I I really enjoyed the kind of. The way the kind of brothers that kind of come in—I don't know if they're brothers, but they're certainly brothers in arms—and they kind of turn on each other. That was kind of surprising I think to me. Blood brothers. <clears throat> yeah. Well, obviously, yeah. obviously. Um, <laughs> there's some nonsensical cutting in the film, no doubt. I mean, there's—it moves around so much. <clears throat> sorry, that uh, sometimes it feels like you get a little lost, and it takes a it takes a second to kind of recapture what you're doing. But it's very interesting, and you know the little moments uh, of looks between characters is something that I always enjoy in these films. The little subtle, and in, in movies that are not known for the subtlety, the kind of little subtle looks, uh, side-eye, the uh, Shaw Brothers side-eye that you get oh, yeah. in, in these movies is always kind of fun. And yeah, the Strawberry Sultan guy, the master with the Strawberry Stripes, I mean, it's it's hard to forget this character. I mean, he's unbelievably uh, well-cropped. Uh, it's a hell of a die job. That's a clean stripe, man. Yeah, it is. He's got three or three of them, I think. Two on the side, one in the yeah. middle. And uh, it's really nice <laughs> it work. Really nice work by somebody. Yeah. His hairdresser yeah. is <laughs> working double time there, bay. But yeah. it's uh, it it is fun because it 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 has the kind of it has those whiffs of a men on a mission film, right? Mm-hmm. And that that kind of makes it fun too. And now you got to get behind these characters, and the only difference is is that. This one's, um, I'm trying to think if there's another, I'm sure there is another Men on a Mission film I'm not thinking of right now, but where paranoia sets in and kind of destroys the group. Mm-hmm. Um, well, but, the thing. Yeah, well, uh, there you go. The Professionals? 
Yeah, well, there's quite yeah. a bit of that. Yeah, I guess there's quite a few of them. <laughs> but, yeah, but, but it's always a it's always a, it's always a great device, though. Yeah, right. It's a fantastic cinematic device. Yeah, because paranoia is something we can all relate to. Uh, you know, yes. it doesn't always consume us, but all of us at some point in time get paranoid about something. Um, it could be paranoia, anything. Paranoia, big destroyer. Yeah, paranoia. Um, <laughs> but it, it 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 works really well in this because. There's no room for error. You know, like you said, there's the signs when you come in. If you do this, if you shave incorrectly, it equals death. If you, you know, <laughs> anything, yeah. if you mess with our mail system, death. <laughs> That's right, man. But they don't play. <laughs> you talk about the master's hair. Death. Death. <laughs> there's just no, you know, there's no, uh, like I say, there's no, they talk to their HR department. There's no escalating uh, uh, discipline system. It's just straight to death. Probably need to get a union in there. Speaking of our next movie. Yes, uh, they do. <laughs> they really need a union in this uh, client here. Uh, man, who's paying the dues? Um, <laughs> but no, it, it, it's fun in that way. And I really did enjoy the fight choreography. It really, it's fast and it kind of moves around nicely. And there is that good spear fight. And and it, 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 I can't really say a whole lot about some of the story elements. Because to me, it's really just a very basic you know, men on a mission, one clan versus another clan. Um, not really a whole lot, you know, going on. Nothing fancy there, but the execution of the thing is so entertaining that uh, it's a lot of fun to watch. And I, you know, we've we've said on this show, Will and I know have. Uh, I don't know about Todd, but Will and I have both said on the show before that you know, Five Deadly Venoms is held in high regard as a cult movie. Um, but Will and I have never really been the biggest fans of that one. Um, it's a bit slow and it's very melodramatic. It, it, yeah, uh, it, I, I am a big fan. I am a big fan of that one because yeah. that was that was my gateway. Well, sure. that, so that's the thing. Here, here, here's the the thing I believe with Five Deadly Venoms. First of all, the title's cool. Second of all, it was more readily available than a lot of kung fu films, and they showed it a lot. And the mask looked cool. Yeah, yeah, they showed yeah. it a lot though. When I was growing up, they they showed that on kung fu theater a lot. Oh, constantly, yeah. And so it was one of those ones that was kind of like in constant ro- rotation. So you kind of came to love it. If you, if you, you know, I mean, we can all admit that there's certain mediocre movies we probably have a soft spot for because we saw them way too much as a child. Um, but then, I, and I feel like that's the thing. And then, of course, the Wu Tang guys kind of really got into it, and they kind of pumped it up a little bit more. It's not that Five Daily Venoms is a bad movie. It's not a bad movie. I just find it to be a very uh, average kung fu film compared to a lot of the stuff that I've discovered in the process of doing the show or in the process of my own discovery of uh, kung fu films uh, because there's so many there's no I mean even if I just watched nothing but kung fu films for the rest of my life I would not be able to get them all in because there's just no, so many no. right and uh, so you know you really can the kung fu genre is one of those ones where you really kind of got to dig um, because there's a lot of there's a lot of junk in there Minefield, baby. We yeah. talked about that before. We both ended up some blind alleys that yeah. did not fucking pay off. Because they all have some, you know, most of them have pretty cool posters and great titles. And you just think you're going to find that next gym. And then you yeah. end up finding, you know, a turd. And then you got to <laughs> go back and look for another gym. And then you kind of get, you know, that sense of fatigue. And you're like, you know what? I'm not going to watch any more Kung Fu movies for a while. Because <laughs> I've, I've watched too many. And uh, I've not found a good one in a while. So this was nice. It's always a bit of a, you know, of course I trusted Will's judgment, so I knew that he had seen this and 
that we weren't getting a, a polished turd, so to speak. Turd, yeah. <laughs> Turd's the but, word. Yeah, turd. <laughs> Bok! Um, the, uh, <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I guess because it rhymes with bird, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> anyway, um, so I knew it was going to be interesting, but I had never seen it. Like I said, there's elements of it where it made me feel like I've seen it before, but I would definitely say this is better than Five Daily Venoms as a film. Um, but I don't know. There's something about Five Daily Venoms that it continues this. There's this love affair with it that I've never really quite understood. So <clears throat> it's very interesting. But I would recommend people seek this one out because I think they would enjoy it quite a bit. Uh, Indeed. I'm going to kick it over to you guys for make or break stuff. I'm going to turn down and clear my throat. I'm losing my voice as we speak here. Go ahead, Will. Make or break. I'm going to go with the finale, man. That finale's got everything. It just uh, the the place is coming down. Boulders are flying. All sorts of weapons. Um, it's a it's a pretty well done fight. We didn't talk much about the wire elements. I think the wire stuff's done pretty playfully and fun here. It's a little little bit more varied than some of the standard wire stuff we see. Um, it's good. It, it's good, good, good. Uh, MVT, man, I got to give it to Sun Chung. Got to rep for him hard. I yeah. hope people see got more of his stuff. A very good filmmaker that doesn't always get the love some of his contemporaries do. My score for this one is an 8 out of 10. I think it's a very solid entry in the genre. Uh, people would be well served to chase it down. And, uh, yeah, that's that. We're going to be definitely dropping some more Sun Chung in the future. Um, oh, yeah. I want to make a more concerted effort to uh, maybe maybe we'll get Todd. Uh, we'll, we'll flog the bishop. Uh, with, all three of us will flog the bishop over Avenging Eagle. Avenging Eagle. Yeah. Grolsch. Oh, sure. Oh, sure. See? I do have I do have my back pocket. Oh, yeah. I do one, have one, I that, one deep cut uh, kung fu movie in my back pocket. Oh, I know I you got a deep cut in your back pocket. Yeah, that's right. Like, and if you hang back on my ass, that's from the the yeah. the uh, cyst that I had removed. Yeah. Ooh. Um, Ooh. Yikes. So, <laughs> so make or break. Uh, as great as the end is on this thing, I'm going with the uh, with Wayun's uh, big uh, big scene. Um, it's the first time I felt like the other fighters were actually being challenged, uh, yeah. and I think it's very nicely done all the way around. Um, so I'm going with that one. MVT, I'm going to go, you could go with Sun Chung, but I'm going to go with the performers on this. Uh, I think they all do a fantastic job. Yeah. Um, you know, just putting on, uh, putting it on and, uh, carrying it off. Uh, so score for me is a seven out of 10. Uh, this is, uh, this is damn good stuff. And yeah, I would definitely go recommend it to anybody who's, uh, Who's a fan of action? Who's a fan of martial arts movies? Yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. it's uh, it's definitely in the uh, in the top tier, uh, and especially for Shaw Brothers. Nice. Uh, Will, what was your number score again? I don't know if I heard it. Eight, 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 eight. Yeah, man. Yeah, eight, damn man. Yes, eight, <laughs> eight, <laughs> eight, I'm, man. I'm gonna, I'm gonna be saying eight all day. Eight. <laughs> what was your score, man? It was an eight, brother. <laughs> <laughs> Somehow we went from Mandarin to uh, reggae. Or, Jamaican, or, yeah. yeah, I don't know what happened. Eat bandy peas. Sure, sure, sure. Uh, <laughs> those hard R's. Sure, yeah, that's hard R's in a Mandarin, man. Whew. This is going to sound bizarre, but I find it in a way subtly therapeutic. Oh, to the the, the way they talk. To, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, yeah, no, it's I'd... soft. It's because it, Cantonese is a little bit of a harder language, right? And mm. Mandarin's more just like it's kind of soothing, know, soothing in <laughs> a way. I mean, I'm not saying it's like I'm not going to go as far as say it's like a language of love or anything, but <laughs> it's it's soothing. A little yeah, bit. yeah, certainly not a language of love, but yeah, I could, yeah, I could. Yeah, there's definitely a hypnotic quality to it. No doubt. Yeah. Um, <laughs> you got something you want to add to that? I just was going to say, I'm trying to picture you wearing like your 1990 black turtleneck with a necklace and a strawberry striped hair. That's right. <laughs> sure, sure, sure. sure, sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, my MVT is also Sun Chung or Chung Sun, however you want to Chung Sun on IMDb. So uh, if you want to look him up. Uh, this is really good. This uh, there's not a lot of fat on the bone here. This this thing, uh, pretty lean. It's a nice lean cut of steak. This one, um, so not a lot of wasted time. So I don't think you'll be bored if you see this. There's definitely no doubt about that. Uh, but I did quite enjoy it uh, because of that pacing. It really helps. Uh, some you know sometimes kung fu films uh, they get a little dialogue heavy sometimes, and I know they're going for something when they do that. But it can be a little, uh, for lack of a better word, brutal sometimes. And where they're not always served well by the subtitling, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that definitely doesn't make them an it, brother. But, uh, <laughs> yeah. it. <laughs> it. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why that saying eight that way is funny to me, but it is. <laughs> I can't stop laughing. Um, my make or break is also that final battle scene. I like it a lot. I like it a lot. The, uh, <laughs> the, the, uh, it is really well played and it's like they throw everything. Uh, and a lot of stuff sticks. Although I do have to say, even for a kung fu film, this thing has one of the most abrupt endings ever. <laughs> oh, they all do. They all that, do. That's one of the hardest they freeze fucking, frames. But yeah. this, this is this is a hard freeze frame, though, man. I mean, I know yeah, I agree man. with you. They all do. But even me, I was like, whoa, <laughs> that one. Yeah, we're done here. Yeah. 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 <laughs> the, 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 guy liter- the guy literally says, "Let's get out of here." <laughs> yeah, let's get out of here. <laughs> and then it just cuts. <laughs> like, oh yeah, okay, that was cool. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no resolution to that battle outside of what we saw. <laughs> uh, my score's kind of in between uh, you guys, man. It's a 7.5. So we're all kind of in the same ballpark. Uh, this was a lot of fun. I love the title of the movie. I love the way it looks. I love the strawberry uh, uh, master. Uh, you know, and uh, it just, it, it's just, it's a lot of fun, man. It's got some nasty bits, which I like. Everybody's kind of good with a certain weapon. I don't know. It's just, it, it's a lot of fun. I, I like the paranoia angle. I like when. A group of men get together and they start questioning. You know, it's the treasures of Sierra Madre. It's, it's, yeah, it's, it's an ancient uh, storytelling technique, but it's one of my favorite. You know, it's a like greed gets involved or power and you know friendships and you know companionships and things like that. They start to fall apart because some of those, some of those base. You know, maybe it's the pessimist in me, but some of those kind of base human nature things that I enjoy is you know this kind of mistrust. <laughs> it plays really well in cinema. Like I said, with the mm-hmm. Shaw Brothers side eye. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my, my throat's going to be killing me later, man, because all this uh, Shaw oh, Brother yeah. laughing I've been doing. I need to get that on. Uh, I need to get one a, re- a really good laugh on uh, one of the sound drops on our soundboard here. <laughs> Either that or Orson Welles laugh and get those on there. That's what they needed. These movies needed Orson Welles laugh. Oh, man. <laughs> Big time. See if I can find it here during the break. Anyway, so that is our thoughts on To Kill a Mastermind from 1979. We are going to take a short break. We're going to come back and talk about Meituan from 1987. Yeah, there we go. We'll be back right after this.
colors blue. Coal Mine and Blues. These blues are Little Hazel Dickens there. She's got a song in the movie. I think her and, uh, not her, but I know John Sayles wrote the lyrics to one of the songs in the movie. So John Sayles, loving that coal mine in life. Yeah, uh, indeed. <laughs> is this our, this is our, what, our second sales-affiliated film we've done on the show? Yeah. Did you guys even hear that song just now? Yeah. Oh yeah. Okay. I'm making sure. Yeah, making sure you guys. Because uh, I didn't start even, picking over here, man. Yeah, I didn't hear. The, I didn't set the the share the screen up. I'm like, oh man. Hope they heard that, or else I'm uh, like, I'm like, yeah, that was awesome. What do you guys think? <laughs> you guys are. Oh, that was good, dude. Yeah. 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 No, it's a. Uh, um, I don't even know what you just asked me right before that, Will. Before I asked that question. Oh, I just said I think this is our second, and maybe between uh, our our brother, our co-host, our uh, appointed historian uh, Todd and you as well, Sammy. I think this is our second sales affiliated project we've covered, right? We've done Alligator. That's the one that I'm thinking of. Yes. Um, you've never done Piranha, right? No. No. We've never talked about Piranha. I mean, well, we never okay. reviewed Piranha. We've never, yeah, we've never reviewed. We yeah. Never, okay. revu- you know, we never reviewed The Howling or. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, sales has come up in many a conversation. But oh yeah, 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 yeah. As far as um, directing, this is the first one we've done. We've talked about his movies quite a bit. Yeah. Uh, as far as writing goes, eh, it might be a little deeper. I mean, there is a. Tra- I mean, he is working on the. Uh, supposedly, he's work. He's the one writing the Franco Nero Django movie that's coming out. Come on, really? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if Mike is still attached to it or working with it or not, but yeah, he's working on the script. Oh. For that. I think the last I heard, not. Mike Malloy? Yeah. Yeah. I know the uh, director is still the same director that's a friend of Mike's, but I don't know if, uh, I guess Mike's not there. Oh, Battle Beyond the Stars. Didn't we cover that? Mm, I don't think we did. Is that the, the Magnificent Seven and Outer we Space? We might have. Maybe you and Miles did? I feel like I wasn't on that episode. I feel like, I feel like we covered that one. The one with uh, uh, Robert Vaughn and George Papard. Richard Thomas. I think you might have, but I definitely was not on the episode. Okay. That uh, that is a uh, sales movie. Okay. So there's that. Uh, maybe we didn't. I don't know. I'd have to go back and look. It really is a shame that our memories are what they are, but the, that's just the way it goes, right? The challenge. Mm. The challenge actually is something we've talked about covering the Scott Glenn movie. That's a John Sales written. Oh script. yeah, yeah. That's crazy, man. Sales is. I think you know we've talked about him here and there, but I really have always admired Sales for his diversity of output and and his integrity but you know his integrity to his work and his integrity as a human being yeah yeah right. yeah so. you know for those who don't know john sales kind of comes from a very well-to-do background but uh he went to school and everything and decided to kind of take the blue collar road in a lot of ways in his life and did a lot of blue collar work and stuff and because he could have been easily um uh, a corporate guy 
but uh, mm-hmm. he's kind of he's kind of anti-corporate. He's kind of anti-authoritarian oh, yeah. in a lot of ways, and he kind of appreciates the working man. So a lot of his movies and his films uh, and, his, and his screenplays are kind of from the perspective of the working man, and it's yep. very interesting because, like I said, he came from a, a very well-to-do background. So very interesting gentleman, uh, John Sales, no doubt. Um, let's get into Maitwan here. Let's talk about it. Uh, let me find the uh, fucking plot synopsis. Uh, here we go. You, me to sit? you got uh, it? I got it. A labor union organizer comes to an embattled mining community, brutally and violently dominated and harassed by the mining company. Uh, pretty true. Um, mining world back in the early days is a very crazy, crazy world. It's almost hard to believe it existed, but it it did, and it existed well into the well, close to the 70s in some ways. Um, it's pretty scary stuff. Um, oh, yeah. And uh, this, this is a scary world in general. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll talk about it as we talk here. Um, I picked this. Uh, this just kind of came up. I was just kind of looking around at some movies, and I was like, I just want to do something a little different, not as action-packed, but it has some genre elements. And I thought, well, John Sayles does that really well. And, uh, and I thought, well, have we done any John Sales? And just kind of tell you how my mind works. And I was like, I know we've done Alligator, and I know we talked about some things stuff. I don't think we've ever done a John Sales movie. So my first thought was Lone Star, which I like quite a bit as well. Oh, yeah, man. But then I thought, you know what? Nobody talks about Maitwan anymore. Nobody. So I just thought I'd pick Maitwan. And the only thing I regret is that uh, Zom couldn't be on this episode because I wonder if he could add <laughs> he- something to this one. Dude, I couldn't agree more. The whole t- whenever I think of this film, I think of our good pal Zom, Zom from the great state of West Virginia. Um, I know he's a big fan. I'm almost 100% certain him and Loaf covered this on Silver and Gold. Um, yeah, it would have been real cool. And I'll tell you what, if he can get us a voice note somehow, maybe we, I don't know if I'm overreaching here, Sammy, but maybe he can <laughs> we can play a little snippet from him on the show if he wants to send us a little voice note or something we can maybe drop it into the show or something yeah we'll see yeah like not not necessarily even this one just future if he wants to i don't know say something but yeah this is a zom zom jam for sure man yeah so i don't know who wants to lead on this one um if nobody does i will but i'm throwing <laughs> I it just out said, but I, I could. Todd, okay todd's got it going on i got it going in. on yeah, Both me, baby. <laughs> okay, so very clearly right from the outset, um, this is, you know, marked as a movie about resistance. Uh, it's also very reminiscent of uh, Barbara Koppel's Harlan County, USA. Yeah. Um, you know, the miners resist the company, the blacks resist the whites, and so on. Uh, we're given Cooper's Joe character as our kind of audience POV. Yeah. Uh, although... It also kind of falls on the shoulders of the uh, the narrator, yeah, um, Danny Radner character, which I right, believe is right. the Will Odom Who, character, right? Which was that blew my mind. Is it the Will Odom character, right? I mean, I think yeah, that's that's the character. I don't think it's the same yeah, voice. Yeah. It's not Will Odom's voice because he's a no, no, no. Yeah, he's very young it's here. Like, it's yeah. like a Daniel Stern, Fred Savage thing. <laughs> right, right, yeah. right. Uh, but yeah. but the Cooper the Cooper character he introduces us to the actual area yes. and what's happening. Um, What's he's, happening? Yeah, you're right. He, he's uh, our eyes, right? He's our eyes and our. Everything. Yeah, yeah. At least initially, and it's funny because out of the big three main characters, only Chris Cooper looks like he actually belongs here, um, <laughs> and that uh, that really solidifies uh, when we find out why he's there. 
mm-hmm. um, because it's not you know it's not obvious at first, and it's you know it's not really a mystery. I don't want to say, but uh, it's uh, just something that's we're kept in the dark a little bit about. Um, you know, John Sales is obviously a guy who who has always leaned hard left to be sure. Uh, but he's also always been adept at mixing messages with strong characters and stories, and and this is absolutely no exception. Um, uh, of course, he learned that I think from working with Corman on stuff like Piranha and Alligator and all that sort of thing, the Battle Beyond Stars. Yeah. Uh, so he's always been really, really strong uh, in being able to not, uh, well, to see the forest for the trees, <clears throat> basically. Um, and that in mind this thing plays a lot like a working man's Western. Um, and the villains, uh, the villains though, they're, you know, they're thoroughly evil are still kind of interesting. They're just not developed like the other characters. No. Uh, so it's, it's funny to me. I, you know, the David Strathairn, uh, character, he's kind of the gray hat. Um, he cares about law and order, but he's not above, uh, kicking the shit out of and or shooting, uh, anybody who tries to fuck with his town, yeah, he, uh, and he almost feels he almost feels like a character who's seen too many westerns. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, um, but he's he's so, very he's very righteous and uh, oh, very very, very, very interesting. It's an interesting performance from Strathern because he tends to be kind of like he's usually a character actor who usually plays kind of quiet roles. Mm-hmm. Or executives and things like that. Uh, for those who are familiar with David Strathern, uh, David Strathern, but here he's very. He's pretty macho. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's swinging his dick. Yeah. Um, so John Sales uh, actually shows up as a preacher, uh, and his <laughs> big scene gives a very clear idea of the indoctrination of uh, people against the workers through the institution of the church. Um, and this is kind of reinforced uh, when the Danny Radner character gets up there and starts doing his testifying. And we, uh-huh. we quickly see, uh, and this is part of Sales' point, uh, is that you know even speech can be dangerous. Um, and yeah. certainly at that point in time, when you know if you if you were the nail that stuck up, you got fucking hammered down. Well, um, yeah, religion becomes a very powerful tool when you can tie real world issues to it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It becomes um, a an intoxicating, and it becomes a somewhat dangerous. Can become a very exactly. well. I mean, I would argue it's probably the most dangerous tool. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. But you know, and, and you know, fair play. Uh, this is not to say that the uh, the workers are lily pure, right? I mean, sure. they don't take kindly to immigrants. They don't take kindly to blacks. Sure. Uh, every one of them hates a scab, and that's kind of oh, the man. unifying uh, <laughs> unifying thing here. The Italians, um, either the union or the company, are going to shoot them, so they can't really win. Yeah, uh, which is yeah. really really interesting. Uh, and naturally, the only way that they can overcome all of this, you know, then is through solidarity. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And even then, uh, there's still conflict from within and without. Yes. So you know, sales keeps everything popping along, keeps tension on this uh, on this puppy on this puppy uh, for the entirety of the movie. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found it kind of odd seeing the principal from Billy Madison in a serious role, um, <laughs> but at well, the same time, uh, not... you know, Bob Gunton. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm not. I'm not super familiar with Billy Madison. Well, but. he was uh, Billy Madison. The guy in Billy Madison was the uh, the he was the, uh, the what the fuck uh, the mayor of the town. Oh, he's kind oh, of chubby. Yeah. He's got glasses. Yeah, Josh Mustel. I think it's Zero Mustel's uh, son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, That's right. yeah, yeah. Uh, but the Bob Gunton character uh, shows up, and he's just innately untrustworthy because Bob Gunton has never been trustworthy in yeah, the movie. Bob Gunton is always mistrustworthy. <laughs> he has that always, look. always, always, always. <laughs> Um, still around, still by sales. the way. He's still, still yeah. working. You know, Bob Gutton, he's still working. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
uh, Sales uses long shots masterfully uh, as it a way to, to both show the locales, which you know is is fantastic, and yeah. to ratchet up tension in just about every scene uh, in the film. Yeah. Um, so, you know, while unless you know the actual history uh, of the area, you can't say precisely how the strike will turn out casualty wise. Uh, it is pretty evident from the first time. Uh, that he speaks what's going to be going on with the Danny Radner character. Um, he is kind of the the pin uh, that everything turns on in the movie because, you know, in his youth, he's willing to be led uh, despite his, uh, his sort of proclamations of being a spiritual leader, which gets made fun of. Um, but uh, this, you know, the movie is very much about his maturation uh, politically and spiritually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and sales you know, he's more than happy to, uh, to kind of play cat and mouse with the audience in this regard, uh, setting up our expectations with foreshadowing. We've seen a million times before, uh, in, uh, in films like this and certainly in Westerns, yeah. uh, and then, uh, subverting them and, or meeting them. Uh, right. and it really depends, uh, you know, which way he wants to go, but he always, he, his sales is a, is a, a shrewd guy. He always knows which way to go, uh, which path to take, um, to, uh, to bring, uh, bring about what he wants to, uh, what he wants to get at. Uh, there's some strong house on American activities uh, analogies going on here. Oh yeah, uh, people being strong armed for names. Lots of talk about Reds and so on. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you know the hired guns show up, and there's a whiff of pale rider uh, <laughs> going on here. Yeah, amongst other westerns, obviously, but that's the one that you know springs to to mind first. Yeah, the Hickey and Griggs characters, Kevin Teague and Gordon Clapp, <laughs> maybe two of the biggest assholes. In oh, cinema history. Time. I and mean, they, yeah, they, they're they, and they're, they're fucking all faced about it. Oh man, yeah, they are. Well, they think that's definitely you know, everything uh, beneath. Them. Well, yeah, yeah Kevin exactly, Teague. Right? Kevin Teague, man, I think he's an underrated character actor. You know, he was on Lost, right? But and that guy, Lost, yeah, that guy plays an a scheming asshole. Maybe yeah. he might be one of the best. He's fucking oily. He, he is oily as they come, man. Yeah, that Big first time. scene, that first scene with him where he's talking to Brady. Yeah. And he yeah. call he calls her the prettiest piece of mountain trash he may have ever seen and her heartbreak. Yep. Is, oh, he man. is brutal, man. He is brutal. It was an emotionally Michael Haneke approves of the brutality in that scene. <laughs> yeah. well, and then there's there's that little conflict at the uh, the dinner table. Oh, which gets, oh, uh, gets gets a bit carried away. Yeah, the yeah. any din- any dinner scene with the Hickey and Griggs character is a is a study in anxiety. How, how mean can these guys be <laughs> to yeah, whoever's sitting at the table with them? <laughs> yeah. They're mean to the old lady. They're mean to obviously Danny. Children uh, to vulnerable women. They're mean to everyone. Yeah, they pull the yeah, gun because they don't care. They can be. Yeah, in their eyes, right? Well, they're paid bullies, right? They're, they're that, that's that, right. That's what these jobs were. Their job was to come into town, and you know, if you didn't listen Fuck to the, yeah, if you didn't listen to the rules, it was basically they just did the dirty work for the corporation. Somebody had to get their hands dirty. They had to find practically either ex cons or people who didn't care about possibly ever going to jail uh, that they could pay to come into town and and wreak havoc. And these two guys, there's glee in their face oh, yeah. when they come to town because they can't wait to wreak havoc on this small town yeah well it's like you know it's like the saying goes uh, killing's my business and business is fine yeah and there's a lot of great moments where teague and clap just kind of like that one moment when something happens at the mine and they just drive by in their car and they kind of look over to their right at uh 
the Chris Cooper character and just kind of smile, or they look at the Stratham character and just kind of like, you know, see, we told you. You keep mm-hmm, fucking, keep mm-hmm. fucking with us, and we're going to get you. Yep. There's this arrogance that uh, they just have that's, oh, it's nasty. Well, sure, because they they have the power. Yeah. They have the, you know, they have the organization. They have that, and that's really key is organization. Mm-hmm. And, you know, uh, so obviously they're going to be able to, you know, keep their thumbs, uh, keep everybody else under their, th- their thumbs for now. Um, so as much as this is a political film, uh, I think it's also very much a salute of sorts, uh, to the people who paved the way, you know, the people who sacrificed. Uh, and I think it's a show of respect to the working people of this country. Um, I think it's, you know, it's drably poetic, Mm -hmm. uh, while also being really satisfying as a drama. And it's, you know, as, and, uh, equally as charged as it is as a piece of, uh, rhetoric. Um, I think that part of the beauty of the film is that this isn't the whole story. Uh, I think, you know, cause it's not really a victory, even though it is in like a cinematic sense. Mm. Uh, it, you know, it fits its, uh, it fulfills its genre, um, necessities. Uh, but then, you know, it, by expanding only on, on the start of, uh, of what's coming, um, you know, sales is really able to focus on the weight of these people's actions. Um, it gives it a bit more, uh, resonance, I guess you could say. Yeah. Uh, and you know, the movie, it it's. If I'm if I'm thinking about it, you know, personally, I love the movie. Uh, I do think it gets just a little bit flabby uh, around the two thirds mark. Well, it's two um, hours and twenty minutes, right? Yeah, yeah roughly. Yeah. So it's it's you know it takes its time but, to but stretch. At the same its legs. T- but at the same, but that's the, that's the thing is that's you know it's leisurely paced for a reason. Mm-hmm. Um, sure, absolutely. Yeah. Because these things don't, you know, don't generally happen, you know, mm-hmm. rapid fire. You could right. do a movie like that. Uh, I don't think it, it would, would have. It, it wouldn't. It wouldn't be the same. It wouldn't have the the, the sort of power that Mate One has. Yeah, well, I think. Um, I think also the kind of slowness of it. Not, and I agree with the flabbiness comment as well. But I think the kind of slowness and kind of laid backness too kind of falls into the maybe the vibe he was going for because you know a lot of these coal mining towns are yeah. very much small well, town. Yeah, I mean that's where I'm very, from. So yeah, very yeah. I mean, me and you both can relate to coal mining areas. Oh yeah, big because time. you know I, I live in Louisville, but everywhere you go outside of the Louisville area, um, especially in eastern Kentucky, it's all about coal mining. And then you further you go, you go in West Virginia, Pennsylvania, these kind of areas. I mean, coal mining is huge. It's huge, and a lot of this world, particularly the dangers and the health problems and everything else, it still exists. It isn't mm-hmm. gone. I mean, the, the, the retaliation and unions and violence, that stuff's kind of gone, or at least we yeah. don't know about it. But the ugliness of the coal business is still very prevalent in American society. It's just not talked about. Yeah, no, I agree with that. And, you know, I, I don't want to I, – I don't really want to get into how I feel about unions because it's kind of complex. But <laughs> yeah. um, I will say this as a person who's worked with unions. Not every union is great. Not every corporation is evil. Uh, no, but no, that does make for great stories and it yes, does exist. It does. It does. It does and that's, that's the, it, it fits, it fits the, it fits the purpose because yes. you know, the majority of people who are, are going to see this stuff are the, the people who would be more minded towards union yeah. uh, mentality. But yeah, no, I've, I've worked with unions before too. Uh, mm-hmm. and yeah, no, they, uh, they tend to, it's like, uh, it's like any quote unquote, well, I'm going to use this word power structure. Yeah. Um, like every fucking one of them, 
uh, the minute that somebody gets to the top of the heap, guess what they do? They abuse their power. It yeah. just happens. And we've had this conversation before, you and yes, I. Yes, we have. Uh, both of us are of a mind that, you know, power corrupts absolutely. Yes. And um, that is certainly the case in a lot of, uh, in a lot of unions. Where, yeah. uh, you know, they, they do serve a purpose. They have a purpose, you know, uh, as far as being able to get people, you know, a nice wage, being able to get good benefits, being right. able to uh, get uh, get certain rights that, that should be there from the beginning, uh, but, you know, weren't for whatever reason, uh, you know, call it corporate greed if you want. But uh, at the same time, right, yeah. at the same time, then these things turn clicky. Uh, when they're when they're when you get into the minutia uh, of the everyday operation, they turn clicky. They turn power hungry. They, um, they turn as oddly, these things do, and they, and they become they become as bad as the things that they're fighting against. Yeah, a lot of times, they become. So that's why that's why I tend to I tend to say that I am pro worker, but not necessarily pro union. Yeah, they become mm-hmm. small islands of capitalism themselves. Well, they they become they become big fish in small ponds. Yes. Um, so you know that's not what all they. Of them. I want to make sure. No, I said not them. all of them. Yeah, it's, yeah. it's certainly not all of them. <laughs> yes. But in my experience, uh, a lot of them. Yeah, certainly. So some you know, I, I'm not. So I, that's that's the basics of how I feel about them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's pretty much all my notes too. So no. I think the uh, the one of the things I appreciate about this film now watching it is I had forgotten. I think when I watched it the first time, it almost kind of felt like medicine. It almost felt mm. like something I watched and like I swallowed it and like yeah that was very poignant and very important but I don't know if it was entertaining. See, I was the, I was the exact opposite. Well, I wouldn't say the exact opposite, but I was definitely uh, opposite of that. I was definitely entertained. No, no, thing. no. And, and but this time watching it, total opposite feeling. Like it didn't. It, it felt like the medicine too, but it showed me the genius of John Sales, which is he's able to take medicine. Yeah. And you know, give you that spoonful of sugar, right? Hundred percent, yeah. And he does it here with basically some Western tropes. Yep. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, a standoff in the you know in the main street. You know, a battle that we know's coming. Uh, some paranoia, all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And uh, how wonderful is James Earl Jones in this movie? In a lot of ways. <laughs> well, I mean, is he ever not wonderful though? Yeah, yeah he's always. But he, Dude, the, the uh, cast in the, the cast in this thing is fucking flawless. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. They, there's so many great character actors yeah. in this movie. It's unbelievable. Um, just seeing their faces. I mean, even like the the Italian gentleman, John Gravassi. The only person, the only person who doesn't look like they belong is the Mary McDonald character. Yeah, she seems a little, a little bit. She out. seems a little. She, yeah, she doesn't quite look like she belongs yeah. there. But she still does it. Yeah, I think look, she, she still, she still does. Well, she she yeah. does. She does. Yeah. She just, she has that look that is not coal miner esque. Everybody else <laughs> looks like they should be in yeah. a coal mine. She stands she out. Doesn't. She doesn't stand out in this movie as much as she does in Dances with Wolves. <laughs> well, there. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and I like Dances with Wolves, but I mean, she really kind of stands out in that movie as a love interest, right? So, and yeah. I'm sure if we used to go back and look at it, we'd be like, well, sure, they had to put a white woman in there to have a love interest for Kevin Costner, and not an Indian, but a Native American, yeah. I should say, is Indian. I don't even know if I'm allowed to say that anymore, but uh, probably not. But the, yeah, I mean, a lot of these actors too. Some of them aren't even you know from West Virginia area, but some of them really fit in well. Will Odom is actually from where I'm from. He's from Louisville. He, Louisville, yeah. Yeah, he uh, and he he's around here quite a bit. He doesn't do a whole lot, but it, every little performance he does that I see him is he likes to work with Kelly uh, Reichert. Is that her name? Yeah, he does. He, he works with her. Great in her stuff. You and I talked about Old Joy. That'd be an interesting one for us to cover sometime. Yeah, yeah. He always has these kind of interesting performances and. Uh, He's really good in this as a kind of a young kind of child actor. Not a, maybe not a child, maybe adolescent actor. I don't, I don't know how old he was when he made it, but 
I guess he's like 16 or 17. So, yeah, I mean, a pre, kind of pre-adult. Um, but he's really pretty good in the movie as kind of this knowing, not knowing, kind of indecisive, scared, and yet decisive and strong, interesting character. It's really a, uh interesting performance. And really, you kind of think that Chris Cooper is the through line of the movie. But he, like you said, he's kind of the eyes. But really, the Danny Radner character is kind of like the through line of the movie. And uh, it's it's very interesting to me. But anyway, I'll kick it over to Will and see what he thinks. Because uh, I think, Todd, you'd seen this before, but I don't think Will had ever seen it. Correct. All right. Oh, okay. Correct. Nice. I've never seen it. And I'd always meant to, especially after the Zom and Loaf review. And just one of those I never quite got around to. Uh, I'm really glad I did now. I think it's obviously an important film. Um, I think it touches on a lot of the things that we've come to know, as you guys had mentioned, come to know sales for. Uh, this is going to sound like an obvious statement, but it's a very much an American film. And I think that sales is concerned with um, his country and the people that live and have their families in his country, right? So um, whether it's right across the board, the tapestry of uh, the blacks, the immigrants, the white, uh, you know, the middle of the working class. Right. Um, he does a wonderful job. And I think one of the things that I, I love most is that it's, it's very even-handed. Um, and it doesn't, I don't feel that this really treads into sort of sentimentality or kind of maudlin territory despite some some tragedy and some hardship or it's never poverty porn either which is yeah. which is good um give me one second here guys if sammy just just vamp for about one okay, second yeah, no please. Problem. yeah if there's anything it's what's interesting to me is that it's both it's objective in a weird way it's both optimistic and pessimistic it plays like a very yeah. fine line and a lot of sales stuff does that yes. where he's able to kind of comment on america in a positive way but also bring you that be kind critical. of yeah, be very critical of that positivity, and it's it's yes. something that you know obviously it's very scholarly, and Sales is a very well-read, very smart individual, and mm-hmm. I think he knows how to do that very well, and he's kind of become really as I've gotten older, he's kind of become uh, kind of a modern American treasure in a lot of ways, his films and his writing and stuff like that, uh, kind of like a uh, a Horton Foot or a uh, I'm trying to think of some other American writers, almost like a Mark Twain in a way. Uh, uh, I would say that's a pretty good analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I can see him being in there. Although he's not really a guy who's known as much for his humor. No, uh, he certainly no. has a sense of humor, but uh, I don't. Uh, he's not really the, the kind of guy who's who's known for that. No, uh, he is known for being, uh, you know, a bit of a critic. Yes. Um, and Sorry I'm not saying that. that that's undeserved, but yeah. Uh, and like we've been saying, you know, he's the kind of guy who understands that. Yeah, you got to give it a spoonful of sugar to get there. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, you know, you're making movies, so at the end of the day, yeah. you want to make some statements. But I, and again, I think that comes from that Corman school. That's what all those guys that worked through Corman they all figured out. Like, you know what? We can get some stuff out there, but we can do it in a fun or interesting way. And uh, they, they figured it out somehow. Maybe not all the time that they figured it out on purpose. But I think mm-hmm. some of them did figure it out on purpose. And I think Sales is one of the ones that definitely figured it out. That he can kind of throw some politics and some comments about culture into Alligator and, and Howling and Battle Beyond the Stars. And, and mm-hmm. make, you know, all the films he made. Secaucus 7 and this and Lone Star and all these Men things he's guns. done. Yeah, Men with Guns and all that stuff. And, you know, he's still working. You know, he still sales is still working. He makes very small, low-budget movies. 
that a lot of people don't get a chance to see, but I would recommend checking out a lot of his stuff. But go ahead, uh, Will, let you kind of get back to what you're saying. Sure, yeah, yeah. And again, my apologies there. Um, but um, you guys had talked about the cast. The cast is uniformly good. Another thing about sales I appreciate as an adult is I feel like he's – uh, he makes films for grown-ups, obviously. I mean, this genre stuff that he does is is obviously appeals to a lot, but a film like this is very much um, it's an adult film, and I think the cast is uniformly good without being showy, right? And I was surprised to go back and see that Noah, this film was, from what I remember reading, was completely ignored come award season. Now, that's certainly not the the benchmark of quality or the the marker of quality, but it's um, I think because it does, it's not flashy. It's it's more steak than sizzle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but everyone's fantastic in the film. Uh, James Earl Jones in the early going, he's almost like uh, the African American Bud Spencer um, in the train. Yeah. Yeah, you know he's, he's like he's, whipping he's a, guys around. Yeah, he's a big presence, right? So he he kind of all the African American characters kind of look up to him as kind of their leader. Kind of they're not a it's not spoken, but kind of their leader. Yeah, I mean, we should yeah. we should say this is Chris Cooper's film debut. I mean, this is his yep. first film. Yeah, and he's very assured in his role, right? Um, I Cooper, he's always underrated, in my opinion, Chris Cooper. He's yes, really I was about to say that an underappreciated, as fine an actor as we have, and you look at the cast, and it's it's peppered with a lot of um, character actors or supporting actors that you know when you put them together, you you get a top to bottom cast. That you know, the only person I think we were saying off here that. Is a little stiff, ironically, as sales as the preacher, but um, that's fine. I mean, he doesn't really play a big role. Um, uh, what else do we? I feel like the film too. The, you don't get other than maybe the baseball scene or a few quiet moments with um, Danny and Joe. Uh, there, there isn't really any carefree moments in the film, and I th- and it, that's obviously testament to the time. And th- this was a hard life. And I think they do a good job of sales. And, you know, another thing before I forget, and I would be pretty embarrassed if I didn't mention it, is Haskell Wexler. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? Wexler, you know, shoots the film, shoots the hell out of it, a lot of natural light. And I think, Todd, you had said drab poetry or something to Mm -hmm. that effect. Drably poetic, yeah. Drably poetic. And I think that's that's very perfect. The the color spectrum, the, the scheme here is a lot of browns and and muted kind of earthy colors. It feels like there's a lot of natural light. Um, not very Linden-esque, but it, it certainly feels very organic, which um, lends it an air of authenticity. Yeah. Um, I think you feel think, you feel the weather in the movie. Does you that do. Make, that makes sense. I mean, it feels like you feel mm-hmm. the mornings, you feel the evenings, those you crickets. You feel the fog. Yeah, you feel that kind of you mist do. on the mountains. You you, you definitely, Haskell Wesker shoots it that way, and you feel that. <clears throat> And it, it, the film feels very. The, the cinematography does it. It does feel yeah, you're immersed there, like you were saying. You guys were saying about some of the the medium or the, the long shots um, of the the like the the land itself. It really really puts you there, right? And and I know they shot it in the autumn, September, October, and it feels like that. Yeah. Right. It is very poetic, and I think there's something to be said about the uncertainty uh, before the winter comes. Mm. Right, it's uh, it's good. It's very very good. Uh, what isn't good is uh, I gotta find her name in the cast. Is it? Mm, I can't see her name in here. But man, when homegirl starts slamming Italian cooking, 
The oh. Americans, like, look at the slop they make. I'm like, girl, you better slow down. Yeah. <laughs> You're in for a treat if you ever. Uh, but then, of course, you know, there's a there's a gift given, and right, yeah, they break well, bread and all just, that. That's just further comment on you know people's yes. kind of resistance to strangers, and you know the Italians come in, they're taking jobs and. Sure. There's cooking slop and their way they you know they even she's even basically criticizing the Roman Catholic uh, religion. But uh, mm-hmm. when she's when she's building that little Mother Mary thing on the ground and you know you put the flowers you can see the older lady who's probably more than likely Baptist. Uh yeah, yeah. kind of frowning upon that. Well, and the irony in that and I don't mean to step on any toes here, the irony in that is at the end of the day much like people and the universal struggles and wants and needs and hopes um, even within faith, some of the figures and the practices and rituals may be different, but ultimately there's there's a universality that some people ignore, right? And it's right. best that we look at our similarities instead of focusing on our differences, right? Right. Or or some of the perceived differences were really not that far apart, right? Which I think is um, sales is really a humanist, right? He's concerned with people. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, pretty rough treatment of a character towards the back end of the film uh not to spoil anything it's pretty rough stuff uh and i think you know when you see will oldham who i haven't mentioned specifically but i think he's really good it's a slippery slope team with young actors right um but he is really good he's kind of walks that line i think you said sammy between kind of uncertainty and and being fiery and passionate right and he's he's kind of betwixt in between he's he's um not not a boy, but he's not a man. Yeah, right. People don't take him seriously fully uh, at this point. But I think his rage and frustration at that point is palpable. Well, he's, yeah, up till that point, he's kind of a novelty. Yes. Uh, as the the boy preacher. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. He definitely is. And he has yeah. to learn to you know that the the world is number one bigger than him, and number yep. two, he needs to learn uh, about how these things actually work I and what the meaning just... of these things are. Yep. Let me tell you yep. that in modern religion, especially in very southern states, that that still exists. Oh, the, I believe the it. Young, ah. The young preacher, the the uh, apprentice. The wonderkind. The wonderkind, yeah. that's That still exists. I, I've been to churches where that still happens, and it still exists. And, you know, John John Sales, he's actually pretty tame compared to most of the preachers I see. Uh, and in yeah. southern, southern religion, I mean, you basically go to church to get yelled at for two hours and then you get out and you're oh. like hey life is good isn't that the the baptist way right yeah it's certainly yeah. the roman catholic way well yeah the grief or the, not the grief the guilt, guilt. And, uh, catholic right? guilt it's, baby that's why they call it that speaking of wonderkins how about alex right man das wunderkind <laughs> um little, little alex right drop on the show um the shootout towards the back end is very well edited um in sort of bursts and feeling frenzied without feeling like ridiculously kinetic. Like it just feels abrupt and sharp when it needs to, um, without feeling overly stylized. Right. Yeah. It's, it's really well done. The really tension, well done. the, the tension's really well done. I like how they yes. builds and you can see that the Strathern character is, you can see he's about to explode. Yes, absolutely. You can. Uh, those are really all my notes. You guys covered a lot of ground already. Uh, I'm really happy we got to cover this, and uh, I got to finally see it. Yeah. To, anyway, I'll, I'll save some more yep. closing thoughts for my scores and all that. So, um, I, so fun fact, uh, you know me, I'm a bit adventurous sometimes, so 
I actually went into a coal mine once, uh, kind of a bit of a tour. Um, Rode in a cart and stuff. Had to lay down because the ceiling was so low. Uh, Never will do that again, ever. Ever, ever. Scary is one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. Forever, ever. Yeah, one of the scariest things I've ever done in my life. I can imagine. There is no way. And it's giving me chills just thinking about it. The idea of being that far underground uh, with, you know, like a three to four foot ceiling and all of that earth above you. Uh, terrifying. Terrifying. I can't even describe how terrifying that was. <laughs> that kind of that kind of brings into focus that scene uh, with uh, Jones tapping on the ceiling. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah, I think they do a good job of conveying like the early stuff, the stuff in the mines, and it's shot in pretty tight. There was one thing Wexford as well as the, the obviously mines lend themselves to claustrophobic, feeling claustrophobic, but it feels especially so. And even the town itself, everything feels kind of tight and penned in. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Right? Yeah. Which is, yeah, yep. really good. But the, man, uh, good on you. Yeah, yeah. No, I'll never do that again. And uh, if you're scared of or if you're claustrophobic in any sense, don't uh, don't ever do that. <laughs> but you can do it. Uh, there is there are mines that will let you go down and in and let you check it out. Uh, mm-hmm. Ooh, yeah, just don't. <laughs> ooh, uh, not not for me ever again. I love the name of the James Earl char- Jones character. It's a great like nickname. Few clothes. That's that's just yeah. a, it's mm-hmm. it's one of those great character names that I just love. These are they call me few clothes. Yeah, James Earl Jones voice, and I really like the scene. There's a scene with James Earl Jones and Chris Cooper that I don't want to go into detail about because it's kind of a plot. Oh yeah, good scene. But it's really well played by them too, you know. And and it's really impressive that Cooper that this is a film debut for Cooper because he really is. He's not he's not like the the strongest character in the movie, but he plays this kind of offhand leadership type role very well, and. Mm -hmm. He does a really good job when you consider this is his first movie. It's very impressive, you know, hanging in there with James Earl Jones and and Gunton and all these guys, you know, Strathern and all these people. And I don't know where this is in Strathern's filmography. He's worked with the uh, sales quite a bit as well. But, you know, sales tends to use the same people over and over again, like a lot of filmmakers. So, um, just really interesting the way it plays. The, the, uh, the, yeah, the use of religion to kind of coincide with the mining world and unions is very scary and very powerful and uh, mm-hmm. like i said before it's a, it's a great way to get people to buy in uh there are still a lot of small towns in america not just in the south there are a lot of small towns in america where the internet doesn't reach uh the real world doesn't reach as much as you think it does and there's still a lot of old ways that are still inherent in these small towns and they still exist i mean it, it's kind of scary to think about but it still exists that whisper act, that, that whisper acting, <laughs> that Marlon Brando whisper acting, uh, going on over there at the Smith household. The, uh, but the, uh, some of the stuff, it, like I said, it seems like it's so long ago, but you know, there's a lot of this type of stuff that still happens to this day. And you can, you can directly tie a lot of this stuff to a lot of things, not just corporate greed, but politics and everything and what i think that comes down to is just that thing that i always find interesting in stories <laughs> that thing i always Sorry, find <laughs> more whisper acting the uh the thing i always find interesting in, in storytelling is mankind's inhumanity to each other yes it's just, just kind of unfortunately it's kind of inherent in our in our lives it's kind of who we are 
not always, certainly, and a lot of us would probably say we're not that way, but it's there. Uh, it's an underlying sense of who we are. Our inhumanity to each other, but our inhumanity to other creatures, and and the way we tend to, there's an arrogance to us that's kind of unbelievable. You know, I've always said, you know, we're very arrogant until you drop us in the middle of the ocean. And then it's like, oh shit, now what do we do? Uh, because now we we have no real power. In the in the ocean, we are not the top of the food chain. We are not. We don't. We don't have any. Two, we don't have two feet to stand on. We're fucked. Mm-hmm. But you put us on the ground, and we'll start fucking things up immediately. <laughs> I mean, we'll start chopping your trees down. We'll cut. You'll break your house down. We'll break into your house and take your TV so we can buy some meth. We'll do all kinds of stuff. Oh man! But you drop yeah. us in the ocean, and we can't do shit. <laughs> <laughs> and that's why you know I always find you know you know water to be the great equalizer. And there's always this bit of me that thinks that you know not to get too political here, but there's always this bit of me that thinks the global warming thing is is all part of the grand plan. You know that the, the all part of the mm. grand plan for us all to get sunk, all of us be destroyed, and then the land just kind of pops up again and we start all over again. Well, yeah, because we've clearly fucked quite a few things up at this point, and I don't know if there's any coming back. But the, the, the that's what I always kind of find interesting about this is we have this arrogance about us. It's kind of unbelievable. We have a beauty to us as well, no doubt. You know, I see a painting, I see a film, I see I read a book, play a video game, anything creative. I think to myself, man, mankind is pretty. We we're pretty much on it. And then you know you see other things, and you're like, yeah, we're still we we still aren't as smart as we think we are. So it's very interesting. Uh, and I think uh, you know he, uh, sales kind of has that view as well. Like he. He sees, like me and Todd were talking about, he sees the positivity and the things we can do, but he also sees the the negativity, the things that we, for some strange reason, refuse to do. And he's done that throughout his career, and I think that's very interesting. Um, yeah, I just, you know, me and Todd were kind of talking about it, obviously, in Todd's review. You know, I, I've worked for both sides of the coin. I've been in unions, and I've been in management. And there's good and bad in both. And... Uh, it's it's like any business. Uh, they may start out with the right mentality, but they don't always end up in the right spot. It all really comes down to the people, uh, and you know it, it. It really has nothing to do with one organization over another. Some corporations are great, and some corporations are truly terrible. Some yep. unions are great, and some unions I've worked with a few uh, really need some help. <laughs> Uh, you know, and it's, 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 it's there. So it's never as black and white as us versus them or this class against this class. It's never that black and white, but it is a very powerful storytelling tool. And I think that he, uh, sales almost said Hughes. Well, that's a different, that's a different John, John Hughes, America and John sales, America. That's two different Americas. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> One is much more optimistic than the other. If a bit rapey. Um, <laughs> I don't think anybody, you know, nobody's ever said anything about that now, but John Hughes films, in retrospect, a bit rapey. They're, were they which? The John, Hugh, rapey. John Hughes films, in retrospect, they're a bit rapey, if you think about it. Yeah, they're, you know what? There's a lot of problems with his films, if we really look back at yeah. where we are now. Mm, yeah, we could get into some pretty problematic stuff, right? Yeah, but yeah. No, they don't age well. Let's put it that way. No, yes, they and do not. Them. Yeah, no, there's some good. They're they're good for sure, but they sure, yeah, sure. I like they them. don't age well uh, for sure. But uh, sales, I'll wait. Last, I'll let you finish. Then. Well, I think sales. I think that's kind of the interesting thing. I think certain filmmakers, sales, Scorsese, 
some of these. Uh, obviously, this is a very male-driven film as well, although there is some female empowerment here. There is, this is a very male-driven story. So you could look back on it and say that, but I think he handles the differences between race and cultures and male and female. I think he handles it pretty well here. I never felt even the slightest bit like the movie. The movie's set in a different time, so that helps, but I never felt like the movie feels like of its time. Like it doesn't yeah. like it doesn't feel misogynistic or it doesn't really feel racist or anything like that. It feels no. like a human story. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think he does that really well. And actually, I think that's what Scorsese does well. Uh, I know a lot of people don't like that Anna Paquin doesn't talk in The Irishman. But uh, I think he very clearly shows you that that character is not going to talk from the get-go. Um, yeah, and that's but, kind of the point. <laughs> yeah. mm-hmm. Still don't understand that argument. Never will. Uh, well, yeah, some people like to just... Yeah, I know. you got to have female characters in the movie. If she doesn't say more than three lines, then it's a misogynistic movie. Uh, even though Scorsese doesn't make anything but male-dominated movies, really. I mean, he's made a few female... Um, the Age Instance is pretty female-dominated, but nobody talks about that one. Anyway, neither here nor there. It doesn't count. Doesn't, nobody saw it. That's right. That's right. That's right. It's a costume drama. Nobody watched that shit. Yeah. Uh, that's a chick movie. <laughs> that's terrible. <laughs> I, ironically. You can't even say that anymore. You can't... That, that, that's a terrible thing to say, you know? Like, uh, yeah, those are, you know, rom-coms. That's, you know, they're... Back when I was growing up, and you know, it, 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 it now it does sound pretty sh- crass. I would call them chick movies, and that is a crass thing to say. I'll fully or admit that. Flicks. Yeah, chick flicks. I, I would con- I'll completely admit to the fact that that was crass, and I will apologize for that because I don't call them that anymore. But it's one of those things where you don't realize that it's crass until somebody, you know, until time goes by. Mm-hmm. Anyway, that's neither here nor there. This movie's not crass, and the way it tells its story, it's kind of poetic and beautiful. And really, I think it's got to be top two or three John Sales for me. I don't know if it's number one. There's, I like a lot of his stuff, but this is certainly, it's certainly in the conversation as far as a complete uh, piece from him. So that's all I'll say. I'll kick okay. it over to Todd for Maker Breaks. All righty. Well, there we go. Uh, MVT is going to, it's tough because the performances in this are so great, but I do have to give it to sales. Uh, he really does, you know, play this thing down the line, um, about as well as any writer director possibly could. Uh, and he makes marvelous use of every inch of frame. He makes marvelous use of every, just about every minute uh, of time that he has. Um, so good for him. Uh, make or break. I'm going to go with the showdown. Um, Basically, you know, come for the political commentary, stay for the gunfight is the way I'm looking at it. Um, (laughs) It's a good gunfight. And it is. It is. Um, For those who are are worried, it's it's juicy. It's juicy enough. It's pretty violent. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh, And score for me is 8 out of 10. Uh, Do I think this is sales' best movie? No. But, yeah, like Sammy was saying, it's definitely definitely in the the, – upper echelon yeah. uh of it's, in the, films. it's in the conversation no doubt yeah yeah yeah, yeah. will okay so i'm gonna say make or break i like the opening scene when james Earl jones the african-americans get off the train because i think to me it it thrusts us into what a tough situation it is and we're starting at this point we're starting to see 
all of the different perspectives that are involved in this larger, bigger picture thing and, and how tough a life it is, right? You think you got it bad, someone else has it even worse. And mm-hmm. and then when, you know, you get that moment, like I said, it's not like a, like a kind of um, cliched rallying cry, but I think that, you know, through time and and the realization that, you know, the unity and so forth, universal things. Uh, but yeah, I like that opening scene. It's, it's a tough scene. Like yeah. it, it's, it's, it's rough, you know, it's not overly brutal or kind of like violence porn or anything, but it, it just, just enough to give us, Ooh, man, this is, this is a tough, this is a hard life, man. Yep. Um, maybe not the showiest scene, but I, I quite like it. Uh, MBT, I'm going to go with, man, it's a tough one, you know, between Wexler sales, I think all the performances, um, gosh, I think I'm gonna go just with the the God. I'm gonna go with sales, I guess. Do the kind of the, the catch-all. He gets great performances. He utilizes Wexler's cinematography wonderfully. Um, the score is great. It's a very even-handed film. Uh, two hours and twenty minutes um, without a lot of flash could drag ass in the wrong hands, but it, it moves at just the right pace, I think, for him. Um, this is an 8.25 out of 10. Of course, be, you know, it's very evident, I was going to say earlier, I meant to, that Sales is a fan of Italian neorealist cinema. Oh, yeah. Um, right? oh, yeah. This is like American neorealism, right? It's it's really good stuff. Well, yeah, he's even stated that uh, neorealism, Italian neorealism changed his life. Yeah, man. Like, that was that was the moment when he went to the movies and saw some of that stuff. That was when his life changed. So, mm-hmm. you know, his his is neorealism, mm-hmm. mine's spaghetti westerns. <laughs> yeah, man. I don't know what that says about me, but anyway, you know, but you can you can sense that, right? You can sense that in Absolutely. his filmography. Uh, my MVT is sales. Uh, yeah, the acting is so good across the board. Uh, mm-hmm. Everybody is there for their role, and everybody plays their role almost to a T. It's almost perfect, and all the performances are almost pitch perfect. Um, the, there's some of them are gentle, some of them are, um, uh, I don't know what the word I'm looking for is, oblivious maybe. Mm. Uh, some of them are evil, and uh, some of them are just downright quaint. It's just they, he really kind of covers the gamut there, and I think it, it's very impressive the way he works with these actors. Uh, make a break for me. I'm going to go with that scene between uh, James Earl Jones and Chris Cooper because obviously it's a very it's a very big turning point in the movie too. Yep. And uh, I love James Earl Jones' reaction when he gets news. There's very few actors that I enjoy watching laugh and have a good time than James Earl Jones. Uh, I think of him in the Field <laughs> yeah, of Dreams true. when he laughs in Field of Dreams and has a good time there. Because in Field of Dreams, he plays this really hard-nosed, angry writer, right? And mm-hmm. then, you know, he turns into this very lovable, kind of affectionate man. And uh, here, he's he's... He's a very big, towering presence. He's a big man. And uh, yet there's this gentle giant quality to him. And uh, I, I like that. I like that uh, the way the way it plays out. And I, again, I like the way he handles race. He comments on race between white and black and even like cultural differences between the Italians. But he's never, he never really kind of pounds you over the head with it, sales. Mm-hmm. He just kind of he throws it out there and he kind of lets you put it together. And that's, that's kind of nice. Like, I, I don't even know how often... Or even if did, was the N word even dropped? I think it 
I don't. I'm not sure was if it was, not. but I was expecting it to be. And yeah. it although, although certain certain Italian uh, derogatory statements were shown. Oh yeah, yeah, those were yeah. dropped in there, but I can't remember. I, it, it may have been dropped in there. It may have been. I, I can't remember it being in there. I yeah. honestly can't. Yeah, but I can't. I'm yeah. not saying it wasn't. Yeah, I'm, I'm not saying, saying it wasn't remember. either. But I, I yeah, I, I can't remember it. Like if it is in there, it's very subtle. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It is weird that the Italian stuff is kind of more prominent, but maybe. Maybe there was much more Italians going into the coal mines than there was African Americans. I don't know. I'd have to look. Uh, certainly. So, anyway, um, that's what make a break. My score is just a little bit higher than uh, both of you. Mine's eight point five. I think this is one of Sales' best films. Uh, it's a modern American classic. I think everybody should see it. Uh, it's very well made, very well shot. It doesn't feel like a four million dollar movie made in nineteen eighty seven. It feels nope. like a, I don't know, $15 or $20 million movie. And uh, it wasn't a big hit. Obviously, it's not exactly, you know, let's take the kids out and see Matwan, Matwan, you know. <laughs> well, it's not that kind of movie. But uh, I think it's a it's really, really solid, well-done drama that kind of speaks to, you know, American neorealism realism in some ways. So Absolutely. Very good stuff. All right. That is the big show. All right. We have got another one under our belts. We are moving along. Woo-hoo. We're like uh, George Foreman grill grease through the colon. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> that goose shit there, bae. Yeah. Uh, Fucking rooter that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All right. So next week we are back with uh, Diabolic DVD. Uh, Todd yes. programmed the show. Todd, you want to kind of drop on everybody what we're, what we're uh, talking about? It is going to be... Uh, it's going to be a very esoteric show, I think. Yeah. I would say so. Um, yes. It is uh, Killer of Dolls, 1975, directed by Miguel Madrid. And 1970, I believe, nine, uh, A Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death uh, from, uh, I believe the man's name is Kim Ki Young. Nice. Uh, I may be incorrect about that. If I am, I apologize. So... Um, and they're both uh, out on the Mondo Macabro label, uh, so it's Great kind label. of a little, yeah, little yeah. double uh, double action there. And we uh, should so, say, yeah. uh, good friend of the show, Kenneth Borson, he uh, got a commentary track on the uh, "A Woman Chasing the Butterfly of Death" uh, disc. So yeah, nice. yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and pod- um, podcast on fire, guys. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Looking forward to that. Um, so yeah, for those of you who, uh, who are interested, it's a little bit early. You still got time before Christmas to get over to Diabolic and, uh, order up, uh, either these guys and, or, uh, something else, anything else. Yeah. Forthright. Uh, I've not seen either one of these. I don't think I've seen Killer. I, neither have I. I. I have not. I think I've seen the poster a bunch and it feels like something I would have seen. Uh, uh it is, uh, it's a movie. <laughs> Well, there we go. It, it certainly looks interesting. I got the, I got them in the mail the other day, and I looked at the back of the box, and I'm like, yeah, I need to tuck this away. I don't need my son to see. Yeah, on the, no. On the back of the box, there's a, a blow-up doll with some blood on it, so that's interesting. That should be fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> didn't know they were making that biography of Todd there, bae. Uh, <laughs> not enough scrapple. <laughs> not enough scrapple in that uh, inflatable again. orifice. <laughs> Ooh. <laughs> Baby. I like to force feed my dolls, uh, you know, <laughs> scrapple. <Yeah. laughs> Ooh, that pork. Um, <laughs> so that yeah, is the big say, show next week. I would say with the pig squeal, buddy. Oh yeah, that is the big show next week. We look forward to doing that because, uh, like I said, I, I don't, I know I haven't seen a woman chasing the butterfly. I know for sure I have never seen that. And uh, Killer of Dolls doesn't look familiar. 
Uh, seems like it would. Seems like it's something Will would have picked back in the beginning of the show. Totally looks like a Oh, will. absolutely, man. Totally yeah, looks like yeah. a Will pick. <laughs> so it should be fun. All right. Uh, Will's got some stuff going on. The whisper acting's went away. He's man, got, he's I'll got tell f- you what. My dog just ate pool chalk. So that's what's up right now. <laughs> that's, that's fun. That's why they turned down. Oh, that's well, fun. At least she won't have heartburn. Yeah. That's right. And also, you know, the poop will come it's basically out. basically what tums are. So. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Poop, the poop will so come out a little is. different, a uh, little rainbow. Okay, yeah, you might get some white ones. Oh man, yeah, the brown and yeah, blue nice, make. nice little yeah. <laughs> that s'mores poo. Brown and blue make. Yeah, brown, brown, yeah, brown. Uh-huh. Maybe, well, maybe a little purplish. Mm. Purple, deep purple there, buddy. Is that what? Uh, do you think Doctor Manhattan's butthole looks like pool cue chalk? Yes. Oh man! I'll Definitely. bet you that uh, I'll bet you that Blake, uh, Agent Blake, like the used to stick a fucking cue up there. Only on the GGTMC do you get discussion of Doctor Manhattan's <laughs> asterisk. That, that darkly stained butthole. Yeah, that asterisk, baby. Yeah, <laughs> as Dusty was saying, that dirty asterisk, baby. Yeah, that balloon, uh, baby. <laughs> oh, I wonder anyway. if he bleaches that thing. Ooh, no, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna go out on a limb and say no. No. Also, I'm gonna go out on a limb and say the guy that played Doctor playing Doctor Manhattan on the TV show, he has a full frontal nude scene, and yikes. Yeah. <laughs> that that is a scrapple knob, man. Oh, man. That is uh, yeah. That's uh, at first I thought is this CGI? You know, I mean Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> that is an impressive uh, uh, piece of uh, whatever that is. <laughs> Have the equipment, you know. Yeah, you see something like that, and sometimes you think to yourself, "Jesus, I am so inferior." <laughs> <laughs> like all of us men, you know, we watch something like that, and we're like, "Holy, f- what do you do with that thing?" <laughs> yeah, right. That's when you start making excuses. Like, ah, that's too much. Yeah, that's whoa, man. That's God. Somebody could get hurt on that. <laughs> I nice. doubt it. <laughs> anyway, neither here nor there. But uh, again, you won't get that kind of commentary on the Watchmen anywhere else, baby. All right, that's all I'll say. Will's got things going on. No more whisper acting, chalk eating. Todd's got blow up dolls and scrapple to play with, and I got to ponder on Doctor Manhattan's butthole the rest of the day. <laughs> so with that, things that make you go. Hmm. Yeah, with that, I will say adios. 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 Thanks for listening. You can find the gentleman at ggtmc.com, and you can email the gentleman at midnight cinema at gmail.com